on the Empire Podcast this week. It's six of the best. There's a baseball reference as we welcome a sextet of big names into the pod booth. There's inside number nines, Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. And from Muppets Most Wanted, the Muppets we wanted most, Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. Yes, Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. All that unusual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast is already queuing up to watch Benny Lynn Cummerbund play Hamlet next year in London. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. I'm joined once again this week by three brave and noble warriors who stepped up to the plate and replied to my desperate email entitled, Shit, I forgot it's a podcast tomorrow, who's in? First up, returning after a week gallivanting around Europe with a group of teens is our geek queen, it's not as dodgy as it sounds honest, uh, who received a book of geeky crochet suggestions for her birthday earlier this week. She's already hard at work on a full-size, anatomically correct Dean Winchester. It's Helen O'Hara. This will not stand, this perpetual weekly slanders to my good name. I imagine it wouldn't stand because it's, it's, made, well, it's of made of crochet. Yeah. <laughs> made of crochet. Is that, is that a thing? Uh, sure, that a technical let's, term? let's assume so. Okay. Uh, next up is our art house guru, a man whose hobbies are a little more earthy. They include long walks in the park, playing chess with death, and dragging a great big bloody boat up a mountain. It's Phil Dissimlian. Hello. Have you any idea how hard it is to drag a boat up a mountain? <laughs> I have no idea. I've Don't. never tried it. Even a hill. <laughs> Even a small hill. Even a hillock. <laughs> <laughs> Even a dinghy. And last but not least is a man who splices this podcast together when he can find the time in between compiling fiendish quizzes, flirting shamelessly with image inputs, and watching old episodes of Whose Line Is It Anyway on his lunch break. It's Ali Plum. I also watch Zero Punctuation and Mental Floss on YouTube. If you have any free time ever, watch Mental Floss on YouTube. They do some great work there. Mental Floss. Mental Floss. I'm making a mental note with my Mental Floss. Uh, but you do watch uh, old episodes of Whose Line. I absolutely adore yeah. Whose Line. I find the new Whose Line adequate uh, but Oof. i i adore old who's define line. new who's line the cw version which has been out for a season and a bit i think oh, who's on that it's in the states it's, right? it's all it's all the usual but there's a new host who i don't know very well is the cw version like the old one but everybody's younger and fitter everyone is the same age if not older uh but no one has their tops off oh colin mockery doesn't have his top off no but he does have his wig off colin mockery what okay what Colin Mockery wears a wig? No. <laughs> oh, okay. He's just even balder than before. What He's... mockery is this? <clears throat> is Proops on it? Uh, not that I've seen. Styles? Yes. Okay, that's then fine. I'm on board. That's fine. Happy with that. Happy with that. Hello, Phil. Speaking of Finnish quizzes and something that we can potentially... <laughs> when <he's laughs> out the, podcast. the sound you can hear is a crowbar going into a door. <laughs> Chris, remember when you said Finnish quizzes 10 is minutes there, ago? Is there a statue of limitation on segueing? Let me ask you that. Because I was about to segue on something you said four weeks ago. <laughs> Tumescence. Um, oh. No, I wanted to... What have I done? What have you what done? Have I done? Um, listen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, am, I have no op- other option. You have no other option. Last week... Yeah. With my art house hat on. <laughs> do you have any do other hats? have an yeah, art house hat. In the shape of a boat. It's made of felt, <laughs> and it's from a republic that no longer exists after the Second World War. Um, and uh, I went along to the launch of the Polish Film Festival, Kinoteka, which is running of course in March and April. Is and it I've at got your house? A goodie bag. Oh, yeah. Now, you may wonder what wonderments are in this goodie mm, bag. For instance, is there cake? No. Oh. Are there Marvel DVDs? I'm wondering. No, but oh. we do have... A double DVD of Andrzej Panyufnuk. And I really have to apologise for the pronunciation because that's not how you say it. We've got a beautiful Kinoteca Moleskin diary. And. <laughs> even the few syllables aren't even in this name. And. <laughs> Andrzej Panyufnuk. Panyufnuk. It's not so difficult when you think about it, but I just threw it out there. And this t shirt. 
oh. as well, which it's is kind of punk. That T-shirt. If there's a sort of a Comic Con for Polish mm. cinema. Yeah, that would be there. Yeah. You'd wear this. I would. You would wear that. Yeah. Um, look after that for the moment, Helen. And there's something else in here. It might be. Plastic. No, just the bag. But it comes with a bag too. And um, and a CD. So you have, if you are interested in winning this collection of goodies, uh, if, 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 simply <laughs> hashtag because the Polish Film Festival this year is is focusing around the work of Valerian Borovczyk, a man who influenced Terry Gilliam, late of these very booths. Oh yes. So mock ye not. Simply <laughs> hashtag how to spell. If you're at the Empire Live podcast, you'll know I love these complex quizzes. How to spell his surname to at Empire Magazine on Twitter. Valerian Borovczyk. Okay, Can do they need first it? name as well as surname, or is it just surname? Just the surname just needs the surname. to be spelt correctly. Ooh. Okay, so that's all you have to do. It's very simple. Let's pod. There's no way that this will go wrong. Uh, all right, so let's move on to the questions. You, you've been sent it in. We've posed you a question. Now you're going to pose us questions uh, via Twitter and email this week. Uh, the first one is from at Dan P. Crane, who asks, With the exception of Mulholland Drive, dream sequences in films are almost always annoying. Correct. Well, I mean, there are many examples of ones that aren't annoying and are actually kind of awesome. Uh, obviously, springing to mind, Spellbound, Gregory Peck, the dream sequence directed by um, Salvador Dali for Hitchcock's film. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm pretty sure Ali's going to name a film right now that has an amazing dream sequence. There are two fantasy slash dream sequences slash having your face punched in sequences in The Big Lebowski. There we go. Uh, where the Coen brothers took a rotisserie spit and attached a camera to it so the bowling ball point of view, the POV bowling ball view, would go down the lane and you'd see the ball rolling, rolling, rolling. That's amazing. Um, with The Man and Me as a soundtrack. And then you've got the spiked white Russian, the spiked Caucasian, uh, which leads to the most amazing Busby Berkeley dream sequence slash nightmarish slash wonderful Julianne Moore in a Viking outfit, Jeff Bridges staring up girls' skirts, piece of wonderment. So that is not annoying. I'm perfectly okay with that. I guess the question is, you know, sometimes the dream sequence is a cheat in a way in yeah. the film. It, like, it gives you an alternative reality and, and tells you things that they can't really work into the storyline. So I can sort of understand where the question is coming from. But I would say that all cinema is kind of a dream sequence in, in Whoa, fairness. That's deep, man. Oh, I know, man. I got really deep. I learned that from Mark Cousins. <laughs> so take I that. It, I learned it from Mark Cousins. Dream sequences are very dark. Where did Mark Cousins sneak? Who let him in? Suddenly he's in the pod booth. You don't have, you don't have blockbuster, uh, blockbuster clearance. <laughs> Get out. Mm. Sometimes There's a wonderful sequence in Michael Bay's Armageddon. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> Dream sequence in the Michael Bay movie. That's a terrifying prospect. But I mean, in all seriousness, David. I mean, like, David Lynch's films are all kind of a dream sequence, aren't they? Like they're all not, mm. not trying to yeah. get deep. But everything is sort of what's real and what isn't in a David Lynch movie. It's really hard, and he, it's so much ambiguity um, in in uh, in the sort of c cinema worlds that he creates. But talking about traditional dream sequences, I mean, you know. It divides people, but it's still brilliant. The Broadway melody um, in Singing in the Rain. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't like that the first six or seven times I saw the film. But yeah, like no. from number eight onwards, I was totally on board. You need to be about seven, eight hours into watching that before <laughs> it really kicks in. Yeah, without dream sequences, you wouldn't have uh, things like the the terrifying uh, subliminal appearances of uh, Pazuzu the demon in The Exorcist. When, when Karras uh, dreams about his mother descending into the subway, which, you know, pertains to hell I guess 
You wouldn't have that. You wouldn't have the brilliant Nazi zombie sequence in America Werewolf in London. Dream sequences. Maybe yes, I know the grammar of dream sequences perhaps has become a little cliched over the years with people waking up and then, oh, it's just a dream. Oh, no, now really it's just a dream. Um, but... Yeah, but I mean... Like Elm Street, hello. The yeah. whole film is, you know... Any form of sort of psychological horror kind of yeah. depends upon it. Like, you know, Black, Black Swan, um, Rosemary's Baby. You know, it depends mm. on yeah. that. It depends on that line between reality and, and you know, a, a fractured psyche. Even something like Fight Club. Fight Club, 100%. Yeah, and then there's Inception and... Mm. And, and also the sort of the... the uh, the nicer dreams, if you will, or at least the more kind of wish fulfillment dreams of things like uh, American Beauty, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, National Lampoon, Hackers, Fletch. amazing dream sequence in Hackers. Pretty sexy, um, where he dreams that he's uh, playing in the uh, in the basketball yeah. league. Yes. I mean, these, these are kind of fun. Speaking of psychological horrors, uh, Die Another Day, uh, at the very end, you see Money Penny putting on the uh, the virtual reality machine and you see her getting it on with 007 hello and oh. then John Cleese obviously bursts in and goes what are you doing with my virtual reality machine and it's all very amusing oh dear oh dear <laughs> but, uh, oh. but let's also point out Inception has something to do with dreams Wizard of Oz has something to do with dreams mm-hmm. uh, I would argue that uh, Aliens there's the chestburster dream you'd want to put that oh, in oh yeah uh, I'd also put in uh, maybe Labyrinth there's, there's a smidge of that in there and what that's all real I'm afraid there's a section where she goes back to her bedroom and she thinks everything's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's not fine. It's actually a weird dream. Uh, also in The Dark Knight Rises, uh, there is a little dream sequence which allows for a cameo from an old friend. There are many, many. This is true. I, I had this weird dream sequence myself the other day. I dreamt that um, I was watching this movie about this guy with a hat and a whip. Right. And uh, he was going after this crystal skull thing no. okay. and there were these monkeys and there were there was bad CG and someone was being hit in the ghoulies with a branch weird get help Dream had you just had you just like gone to the fridge in the middle of the night for some food and just got confused had you gone into the fridge mm. yeah. it began with a gopher <laughs> and then a man got into a fridge and there was a nuclear bomb wow Chris less cheese before bed maybe yeah, no, yeah it sounds completely and utterly implausible that's absurd I don't want to take the tone down too much but eight and a half Fellini's opening starts with um Marcello Mastro... (coughs) Mastroianni? It starts with Marcello Mastro... Just say Marcello. Eight and a half. Yes. Yeah, that one. Guido starts in a car. He's unravelling, obviously, mentally. There's smoke pouring into the car. He's trapped in the car. Then he's on a beach. There's a horse. Then he's flying a kite. Then he's plunging to earth. And then he wakes up in a sweat. And you're like, this is a man who's not having a good day. Although probably a better day than when you had that dream about the, uh, the whip cracking... Yeah, and CG nuke there was, fridge There were three waterfalls and a cockney guy going Jonesy! I don't know it just seemed really vivid really real. No, just, I, I don't no? think so. It never no. felt real. Just to join some dots between things we mentioned. Spellbound mm-hmm. has uh, scissors, giant scissors cutting through curtains mm-hmm. and obviously that connects to a part of the dream sequence of I'm going to cut off your Johnson Lebowski <laughs> so everything kind of fits together Yes. Oh, in dream logic so in in, <laughs> in conclusion, dream sequences are good. Yes. Hooray for dreams. We like dream sequences. And obviously, Ladies. this is not exhaustive. There are a lot more dream sequences we could have talked about, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on then to the next question. All right. Next question is from at Gaston Grimsdyke, who asks, with Bradley Cooper's name in the ether for, um, that's ether as an ether, not as an ether from Thor 2, uh, for an indie reboot, who are the podcast crew's ideal indies? So let's explain this. This is the uh, the rumour that was uh, then debunked and then rebunked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, okay. it is now. Uh, early this week. 
Um, so Latina Review said that uh, they had heard from uh, sources, perhaps the same sources that told them that uh, Avengers 2 would be World War Hulk, that the new Indiana Jones was in the in the offing, and now that Disney had bought Lucasfilm, uh, and that the new Indiana Jones is likely to be Bradley Cooper. And this would be a reboot. This wouldn't be like a recasting of Mutt. This would be like uh, they, a would recasting do, they would of do Jones. with James Bond. It would right. be James Bond-style stuff. And then another website, Slash Film. Yeah. Wonderful guys at Slash Film. Uh, said, what? Said, uh, no, that's not true. And then the Tina Review went, yes, it is. And then I, I lost Will to Live. Amazing. Mm. So that's a recap. Um, <laughs> I... I, I feel like I, I might need a little bit of a rant here for just a second. There should be a statute of limitations, I feel, on reboots. I, I really am beginning to to very, very strongly, from my heart, feel that there has to be some kind of limit. And I feel like there, there should be some kind of formula to do with the, the popularity and the iconicness, which is a new word, uh, of a character... Um, which you then, you know, have to divide by the popularity of, of the actor and the portrayal of that character and multiply by certain something or other to get the number of years that you have to wait to reboot it. And, and, and in, in the case of Indiana Jones, I honestly feel like you shouldn't. I yeah, really, should, like, really yeah. strongly feel this. You should um, never, ever do it. Yeah. Having said um, that, I mean, listen, I, I don't have anything against Bradley Cooper and actually... From some of the names that have been tossed around over the years, he's probably one of the better ones. He's he's got a little bit of fordiness about him, but you just—I mean, I just—I oh, can't—I can't ally it. I just can't sign off on this. I really can't. I'm trying. Yeah, I don't think honestly, I don't think there's a modern equivalent of Harrison Ford. I really don't. No, no, that's I true. really don't. Um, the you know the the charm, the grizzled good looks, the the, the humour. And and it, because indie doesn't exist really outside of those films, mm. then you've got, a, you know, it's not like James Bond. There isn't this huge series of novels and it isn't kind of a blank slate of a character that you can do a lot with. Mm. Indy is Harrison Ford. Yes. He was created by Harrison Ford and to a certain extent for Harrison Ford. So how can you possibly... You know, you've you've got to you've got to either move away from that consciously, or you've got to try and recreate that consciously. Either of those are potentially dreadful, dreadful decisions. Or you cast Tom Selleck, who hasn't aged <laughs> in about thirty years. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. you, you on board. Him, you give him a shot at the crown at long, long last. Right. Or um, you know, it's the same, I feel the same way about the Han Solo thing. There's all this talk about the a young Han Solo movie. You're going to have to find someone who has Han, uh, Harrison Ford's oh, charm no. and charisma, and it's just and it's also very difficult. As with you know, as with Indy, the, the main criticism about um, uh, mm. the Last Crusade, which I actually quite like, but I know a lot of people don't. But the main criticism of the early bit with River Phoenix is that it demystifies a whole lot of things that don't de- need to be de- demystified. Uh-huh. It's the same kind of thing with Han Solo. The beauty of that character, the genius of that character, is he turns up fully formed, and we don't know everything about him, and we don't need to. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying here is you want more Bond films. <laughs> <laughs> I am completely ambivalent on Bond, so Bond can go away and make more as many as they want. I will That's say that, um, that this is not... If, if the rumours are true, if Latina Reviews sources are correct um, then it's not a reboot it is the Bond model Yeah. so essentially it's just Harris, uh, Indiana Jones in another adventure but just played by a different guy and some would argue obviously that given the existence of young Indiana Jones you know this to an extent is perhaps more warranted than it might be for other characters that's true I mean you know, here we are railing against other people playing Indiana Jones and two other actors have done already that already have yeah uh, well, well yeah two um, 
but yeah, but it's a big shadow to cast. I and I don't I don't know if if anyone out there can can escape that shadow at the moment. I can't overstate how little I'm interested in seeing another Raiders another Raiders movie with someone that isn't Harrison Ford playing the title role. But I do think that the probably one of the mistakes of one of the many mistakes of last of the Crystal Skull was that it kind of moved the world out of the pre First World War Second World War rather kind of that innocent comic book world into something that is more familiar and more dull I thought yeah. I like the, the adventuresomeness of the mid interwar so what, you're, you're actually dissecting Chris's dream right now that's weird yeah I kind of am it was a weird get dream. help there were, there were ants and they ate a man alive Nick wanted us to mention uh, uh, John Hamm as the only man who should fill Indy's shoes I'm not sure A that he'd want it or B that he's quite I mean he could do a different thing I guess with it but yeah, your brother's convinced, Phil, that you know John Ham's the man. For a minute there, I thought you were saying Nick. Nick should be Indiana Jones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess. You, you need to be good at directions and stuff, don't you? I think Nick <laughs> could handle some aspects of the role maybe, for sure. Maybe Nick could be our, <laughs> not the map, though. A red line would be going here, <laughs> then there, then he'd stop for a while, have lunch, then forget what he was doing, and then go somewhere else. Maybe uh, Nick this... could be Marcus Brody, perhaps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, I was see, after seeing the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer umpteen times. Let's just mention Chris Pratt because it's an amusing idea. Imagine him as a somewhat more comedic. But indie. then, as with you know, as with Chris Pratt, as with your Brendan Fraser, maybe as with uh, as with Nathan Fillion, they've all done spins on Indiana Jones, and therefore I'm not sure they can do. Someone will mention Ryan Reynolds at some point, so I might as well mention Ryan Reynolds. Although I don't think. He would work necessarily. No, but I mean, there, there, him, there are guys out there who are you know good-looking, uh, fit the bill physically, and probably have oodles of charm. But at the end of the day, they're not Harrison Ford. Um, all right, moving on to the next question from at Biggie underscore Sauls, huh? not Smalls, Sauls. What film have you reviewed? You wanted to do a spoiler podcast on Holy Motors. <laughs> that would be an amazing spoiler podcast. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Just a lot of people sitting around going, "So wait, then there's the monkey." <laughs> And what was Ava Mendes doing? Wait, wait, but explain Kylie. Hmm. Explain Kylie. That's just as a concept. If an alien were to land right now, explain Kylie. (laughs) Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. I would genuinely want to do one on the Lego movie. I would want to break that that down brick by... I could tell, by the way, you you were very vociferous and animated in your... uh, (laughs) <laughs> literally animated in your uh, in your discussion of that movie. Now you see me, for example, is is a is is one because the plot of that is so monumentally stupid that I kind of just want to get into it. Yeah, big time. It's um, it's what we talk about sometimes one. as a fridge yeah. movie, which is that it's fine when you're watching it. it. It sort of rolls along, and then you get home and you go to the fridge maybe to get a you know a cup of tea or something, and you're like, wait, hang <laughs> yeah. on a second. You collapse to the floor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doesn't make any sense you open the fridge there's a man with a hat inside hiding from a nuclear bomb and you go what the hell is going on Eric Idle walks out and starts singing suddenly this weird 3D representation of a woman giving birth arrives it's just the weirdest wow our fridges are odd yeah we should have done one for Fast Five for sure but that's that's go outside the two year sure. lifespan of the podcast. So obviously there's a star, there's Star Wars spoiler specials we would love to have done. We would Fight have, Club, yeah. Fight Club that have been interesting. Um, what else? What else could we've done? The Fountain. The Fountain. Yes. Interesting. So you could do a spoiler special for anything. It doesn't it doesn't you know necessarily have to have a big audience. What, what would it Inception. Be? Cool Inception. Runnings. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would definitely, definitely love to do a cool running special. 2001. I mean, just like, let's get our head around that for a little while, you know? Let's okay. really get into it. Well, all yeah. films ever, are we saying? We're just in our lifetime. Sure. All films ever. All, all films, films ever. ever. All films ever. Okay. What about Michael Haneke's Cache? Ah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Right. Yeah, no, it's huh, You know. That Hulk movie mystery. where he's a babysitter? That one? The Hulk Hogan movie where he's a babysitter? Yeah. What's a Bourbon Commando on that one? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do more for that. Maybe we could do a double bill of that and the pacifier. Tell you what, why don't we throw this up? Because I get the sense this is going to be deathly dull for anyone listening to it. Let's make it interesting. So if you want us to do a spoiler special for any film outside our lifetime, <laughs> just as a little experiment, Yeah. why don't send it in, uh, hashtag Emerald Podcast, hashtag spoiler special, and we'll take a look and see, and we may pick one and just do one at random. All right. Just for a laugh. We just may. see what happens. And Ali's going, no, <laughs> I've got to edit more shit. No. Especially if it's sudden death or so, under siege two. Especially. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, influence your decision, but yes, it has to be sudden death. <laughs> it has to be sudden death. <laughs> and if there's a way of tying it into now, like it's an anniversary, that could be useful. Yeah. We should do it in June, which is a month of death as far as films are concerned, because everybody's going to be watching the World That's Cup. That's true. The World Cup. When mm. the biggest movie in cinemas will be Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie, and that's I'm not. That's actually how it's spelled, the movie. D. You're not being racist movie. for I'm not, once. I'm not being racist. It can't be racist against my own people. You've got an English mm. passport. I don't have an English passport. Fine, I have British. a British passport. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, listen. As chance would have it, it's the 96th month anniversary of sudden death. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's topical. Yeah. And spicy. Think, right. think on that, people. So, so there you go. Empire uh, Podcast is the hashtag, and Spoiler Special is also the hashtag. Do send them in. Well, who knows? We'll see what we can do. If you want to send in more questions to us, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. And again, the hashtag is Empire Podcast. We're on Facebook, Empire Magazine. And we are on email, podcast at empireonline.com. Okay. We've got three excellent interviews to get through in this podcast. So let's go for the first one. People, you know, are always writing in to tell us that we're a bunch of Muppets, which yeah. I think is lovely. Um, but I think it also means they want more Muppets on the show. And we're about to deliver in spades. Uh, Muppets Most Wanted, the sequel to The Muppets, opens this week. And so we sent Helen on your own. No. Who? Who went with you? Ali did. Ali went with you. Amazing. Helen and Ali to talk to two of the stars. They're like Tracy and Hepburn, if Tracy and Hepburn had people's hands shoved up their bum. Their sexual tension is legendary, probably because they don't have any genitals and therefore can't relieve the sexual tension. They are, of course... Helen and Al. No, there you are. The one and only wickedly talented Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. Enjoy. Well, welcome to the Empire Podcast. We are joined today by Kermit and Miss Piggy. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Hi, ho. It is so nice to see you guys. Thanks for coming all the way over here to us. Well, it's a pleasure, I guess. I mean, you, you came over, all the way over to London to make the film. It seemed appropriate that we were yeah, trying I mean, to... I mean, we did meet them more than halfway, Kermit. Well, that's true. We did come all the way across the ocean. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, you're here in London, and I'm a huge fan of Muppet's Christmas Carol. Mm. Did you yep. find the time to have a word with your good friend Michael Caine? You know, Michael's hard to reach. And, and I, I send him messages once in a while, and I usually get, like, a, a message back that just says, like, in parentheses, it just says, chuckle. So I don't want to bug him. I don't want to bug him. We worked together once. He's a terrific guy. I learned a lot of acting pointers from, from him. And he learned a lot of acting pointers from moi? I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's true. 
And uh, but, but I cherish the movie too. We love that film an awful lot. It's one of our favorites. Quite a few of the songs in that film are the songs that get stuck in my head day yeah. to day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What for you two guys? are the songs that you find yourself singing in the shower from the Muppets movies. Oh, wow. Moving right along is a good one, especially if you're in the hurry in a hurry in the morning, you're trying to get through that shower. It is, you know, gets it done. Yeah, never before, never again. That's a good one. Yeah, I don't like to sing that in the shower, though. It makes me think I'm not clean enough. Mm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, good But anyhow, point. yeah, but I hear you. I hear you. Oh, but this movie... Muppets Most Wanted has a well, lot of great music in it. Very true, very true. I think some of my favorite songs we've ever done are in this movie. They're, they're I love really the opening good. number. It's so bouncy and happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, my big number. Uh, of course, of course. Something's so right. I, I don't know why I was... It's so wrong of me not to... Every day, every day, I, I'm humming that song in the shower. Thinking of you, Piggy. Oh, that's and, uh, so sweet. I mean, there's Celine Dion, but but mostly you all the time in the shower. There's a there's a song that your doppelganger, Kermit, sings to Miss Piggy. I don't want to give away too much, but there is a song that Constantine no, sings. We, yeah. we, uh, we've seen the movie. Oh, oh right. Oh, yeah. You're not spoiling you're it not, for us. But yeah, it's giving fine. away anything to no. us. But for the listeners. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, right. But the, he, he sings a song to you, Miss Piggy, and I was mm-hmm. wondering... Uh, whether, you know, he does a great impersonation of Kermit. Great impersonation of Kermit. Great in air quotes, right. S- so yeah. many. Yeah. Can you do any impressions of anyone else, you guys? Can you do a good Constantine, for example? I, I It's the Russian accent. Oh, don't sell it, yourself short, it, Kermit. It's, you, well, you, you're a great actor. You can do impressions. I, I probably could. It's a tough accent to do. I mean, I could try Constantine, I guess. Um, we, we learned that the best way to, get, like, have a mantra to get into that whole... Thing is to say chocolate chip cookies, but but you say it more like juglet chip googies, and suddenly you're Russian. Although I, I doubt that they have those in Russia, but if you just say juglet instead of chocolate, jip instead of chip, and googies instead of cookies, you're right there. So if I was Constantine, I would say chocolate chip googies. How's that? That was pretty good. Reasonable. Yeah, it was great, you, Kermit. Thank you, Piggy. You're so supportive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have to ask, actually, did anyone confuse you and Constantine on set? Well, uh, <clears throat> certainly no one in this room. I uh, didn't. Uh, I didn't. No, I, I mean, mean I, in the movie, twice. I confused them. But that's in the fiction of the movie. I mean, I... I and uh, once or I, twice I had to do, after work. I had to but, do a lot of, you know, great acting to uh, pretend that I was fooled. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, mm. I mean, to actually... Uh, fall for Constantine too. I mean, like she's doing now. Uh, <laughs> great acting. Yeah, a couple times. <clears throat> I, yeah, I know. I got fooled a couple. You times. see, the funny part, guys, is I, I being a frog. I don't understand. I, I don't see the resemblance at all. I, I think we're very individual. Um, I, I just don't get it. Some kind of racism that all frogs look the same to some people. Speciesism. Or speciesism, I guess it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange. I don't know. Maybe speciesism we all look the same. Speciesism is the word. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Piggy. Mm-hmm. No, I don't even like to say the word because I usually get it wrong. I, I don't want to embarrass you, Kermit, but you are knocking on the door of 60 years old. I am. I am. And I fear it's going to let me in. Uh, likely. Soon. But they, but it's different with frogs. Well, that's true. It is. It you is. know, you know nope, that's nope. 60... Human years, but in frog years, it's, what it's is that? It's totally different. It, it couldn't be more than 33, 34. Yeah. But I, also, I hear 60 is the new 40, they're saying. So it's fine. It's fine. I like my men older anyhow, so mm. it's all right. Thank you, Piggy. No one will ever ask your age, Miss Piggy. I, I, I just sure. drink more coffee. You not don't if, mind if I have not a Not if they're smart. 
That's, smart they won't ask that's the sound of Kermit's drinking coffee I love really strong coffee that's something that happens when you get to my age you really depend on and for a frog it doesn't take much I'm telling you Miss um, Piggy I was going to ask I mean there's obviously a lot of international travel in this movie but none to France so you know you didn't get to use your language skills which I thought was a bit of a disappointment for you right right well there is a lot of international travel in the movie again in the fiction of the movie but as it turns out, uh, sadly, we did not go anywhere outside of so Pinewood much. Studios yeah. and a couple of locations in London. I'm afraid so. Yeah, it's, it's a budgetary thing. It's something that often happens in movies. They say, you're going to go to all these... Ex- we're gonna, the story revolves around Tahiti. And you end up shooting oh against boy, a... Tahiti! Tahiti! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're like on a blue screen. Yeah, you know, Tahiti. You know, you know, it happens. Plus... Um, she didn't get to use her acting skills, but by not going to France, I got to retain my walking skills, which is nice for me. I like that. What do you mean I didn't use my acting skills? Uh, acting, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, spe- what was it? Language, Language skills. I apologize. I thought you were implying that I, I didn't act in the movie. I'm old. I have no memory. Now, you guys, neither of you are on Twitter or on social media from what I can gather. What's been stopping uh, well, you? Well, you gather wrong. No, we, we are. We, we are. are. We, we both have, uh, I think, Instagram accounts. We've got handles. We've got, <laughs> got a couple of handles. Twitter handles. Yep. Love handles. Twitter handles. Um, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't actually write all the tweets and stuff. You know, we got you know, people to do that. It's rough. It's rough. I, I, I'm not much of a thumb typer because my, my hands are very wet. And, and I, I try to use... You slip off the keys. I drop the phone. It's tough in the swamp. Um, who had the biggest uh, trailer on set? Because you had all these incredible celebrity cameos, you know. Who, who was the most demanding? Question. <laughs> yeah. I did, of course. Yes, I, it's in my contract. Everybody else's trailer has to reside in my trailer. That way I know I've got the biggest. It gives complete control. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and nobody minds because her trailer is so vast that you can still have quite a big space mm-hmm. in there. I usually spend my time in her sink. Works quite well. Now, this is, uh, it's kind of its own standalone movie, and I enjoyed it very much, but I, I'm jonesing for another kind of genre pastiche or kind of a, maybe a story pastiche. Would you be willing to, maybe now that you're part of the Disney fold, do something superhero-based with a Marvel team? Mm. Well, you know, they are there. They're a great resource. The superheroes are fun. I would certainly consider it. I, it depends on what kind of superpowers they give me. Right, right. You know? Do you, do you think we should play existing Marvel characters? I'm thinking or, there should be Muppets Avengers. Yeah. You'd make yeah. a great Captain America, I think. Uh, well, you know, now, I do have a question for you about that, if you don't mind, for a second. We've been talking about this all week. Mm-hmm. Is, here in the UK, is he Captain America or is he Captain England? We don't understand how that works. He's still <laughs> Captain America. It seems very ethnocentric of us, or kind of nationalistic for us to come over here and have Captain America in your country. Well, there is a Captain Britain in the Marvel Universe, Oh, I there believe. is. In the comics, at oh, least. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, somebody so. thought of that before us then. Yeah. Okay, well, I don't feel so bad then. <laughs> Who would I play? I would think Black Widow. Black Widow. If you were Ooh. an Avenger, you would have to yeah, be Black Widow. Yeah, that sounds I mean, good. You know, there's a resemblance between yourself and Scarlett Johansson. Oh, if you, yes. If you put on a, re- a red oh, wig. Oh, right. You know what? I was up for that role. No. I was. What I think, you know, it's the same thing over and over. No. I'm always passed on because... It's just too easy. Yeah. I'm too obvious a choice. I'm too talented. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. And so people, sure they, they say, oh, we can't give it to Miss Biggie. She's too good. 
We need to we need to find somebody else. A more unique casting choice. Yeah. So yeah, they want a new cover. Give them a chance. Mm. Yeah. But still, the merchandise. Can you imagine a Miss a Miss Piggy Lego character and a Miss Piggy oh. car as Black Widow? I mean, I just I just love the ideas of you. You could be amazing. No, this, 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 yeah. this, 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 no, I like it. I like it. I like it. I'm just imagining the whole product line. It always oh, be great. Yeah. And Constantine, there could be like a Constantine character, yeah. and yeah. I could, you know, my character could knock his block off. Oh yeah, it would be a, it would be a, a blockbuster. Yeah. Yes. 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 Fuzzy. Um, now we've also got April Fool's Day is coming up. I can imagine with the gang, there are a few pranks being played on each other. Mm. Who's the biggest prankster, aside from the obvious? Do you guys ever uh, ever enjoy? Well, we were more like an after- yeah, pranks well, played a Kermit. Kermit and Constantine were constantly well, yeah, that's playing true. jokes that's on moi. It was so easy. You know, trying to switch places on me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you know I just, I'm, they couldn't fool me well, that I mean, often. The green makeup tends to hide the mole, you know? That's like a proverb. I think Confucius <laughs> said that. Green makeup, oh, he hide didn't. mole. Oh, you have didn't. no idea. You're just, you're just, you're just I'm rambling just, off I just into drink outer my space coffee. again. It's, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a muppet in space. Um, do you have uh, d- particular directors that you'd like to work with for the next film? I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, yeah. you and James clearly well, had a great no, time. You know, but James, James is going to be doing Alice in Wonderland, and it's very likely he won't be available for another one. So, uh, it I, really doesn't matter who uh, the director is on yeah. Was movies. You know, as long as they take direction well, mm. uh, I'm fine with with whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Piggy, Piggy, you guys should know this. When we do films, Piggy doesn't have a lot of contact with the director, really. No, yeah, no. It, it it doesn't really matter. No, I don't, I don't have much contact with the rest of the cast yeah. either. Usually in my trailer, and uh, yeah, and nowadays mm-hmm. uh, with technology being the way mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. I can actually do all my scenes separately after we've wrapped. I'm more involved in the post-production of the movies I'm in these days. Yeah. She spends a lot of time against blue, but she looks great against blue. Thank Matches you your can. eyes. Aww. For me, I, you know, I think it'd be cool to work with somebody like Martin Scorsese. I think he'd make a great move, Muppet movie director. Ron Howard, somebody like that. Seriously, I think that would be so much fun. Yeah. I like the idea of Wes Anderson. Well, yes. Mm. It, it, listen, if any of these people are listening, give us a call. Yes, that oh, that'd be great. Wes, he, he does those very symmetrical yes. shots. Yes, yes. He could just put me in the middle of every single one of his shots. He is a great that compositor. Would be great. Yes. And there was a lot of beautiful use of pink in his last film in terms of you know, pastries and so True. on. So I, I feel like he'd be True. on your yeah, wavelength. Lots of pastries. You know? mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Now, when you were let out of the massive trailer of yours, Miss Piggy, mm-hmm. when you were in London... Where did you end up going? Were there haunts? Were there bars or clubs that you ended up going to? I would regularly visit a little place called uh, Tower of London uh, where they have these beautiful jewels. They're called the Crown Jewels. Okay. You may have heard of them. They're delightful. They're, they're just dazzling. And um, I, I, would, I would just say hello to them every afternoon. For me, it was mostly just that there's a little pond on Hampstead Heath. I said kind of in the Frognal direction. I, I spent a lot of time there. Yeah, it's it's good. It's uh, it's nude bathing bathing there. So that's well, yeah. I mean, sure, we're frogs. I mean, that's what we do. Where anyone's invited, it's all very innocent. I think we have to ask. We're, we're about to finish up, but um, you know, you two have been working together and and maybe more 
uh, for, for a long time now. So how, what is the secret to this kind of partnership? Because so few people have made it the, the way that you two have. What do you think? I don't know. We, um, well, we, I mean, we don't really think about it. Sometimes it's best not to think about it. Maybe that is the secret. Um, no, maybe. maybe. Blinders. I mean, it could be, you okay. know, we're, we're both very talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we both love each other, working with each other, sure. and love we each do, other off screen as well. And so I think that we enjoy each other's company very yep. much. I think yep. that's, that's a big part of Compliance it. Compliance works well. Acceptance, tolerance, uh, being able to move fast, you know, duck, ducking. Leaping. Oh, yeah, it's kind no, of, knowing when to shut up. Uh, knowing when to shut up is good. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I think uh, the time, can I, we, uh, <clears throat> what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, that, that, this was a very, very, very fun interview. Thank you so much for well, taking well, the thank time. You. Thank, thank you. you. I, I, <clears throat> thank yes. you. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. We love Empire, by the way. Oh, yes. It's movie news time. Um, God, Kermit and Piggy. What was that like, though? It was pretty awesome. Yeah? yeah. Not as awesome as the new magazine <clears throat> called hey. Empire. Ooh. Tell us more. That is another quality segue. You've got unexpected rants and brilliant segues in this one's, uh, this week's Empire podcast. Uh, So, on the cover of issue 299. Oh, it's getting close. Which means that uh, we're working on issue 300 right now, which explains why I'm semi delirious. Uh, The cover star is Thomas Maypother Cruz, the fourth. We should perhaps explain, he is the legend of our lifetime because he is the guy who's appeared on more Empire covers than anyone else in the past 25 years. Indeed, and also I got his name wrong, it's Thomas Cruz Maypother, oh, the fourth. It's the other way around. Embarrassing Cruz for you. Is his middle name. Yeah. Uh, yes, Tom Cruise, the man who's been on more Empire covers than anybody, uh, including Jim Broadbent, is uh, is the star once again. We, we shot him specially for issue 299 because this whole year is our 25th anniversary and it's a big celebration of everything Empire uh, Ian Nathan uh, was uh, granted an audience with Mr. Cruz or maybe it was the other way around and uh, there's a wonderful career retrospective and a lovely shoot inside the issue there's a lot of great stuff inside the issue yeah. we have uh, a lovely set visit piece from Dan Jolin on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes which is very very nice that's in the on location section we have an interview with Jesse Eisenberg Ali Plum did that one. We have uh, new stuff on Locke, Tom Hardy's Locke. We have uh, Larry Cohen, the great B-movie director. We have an interview with him. Uh, obituary about Harold Ramis. We have uh, a call to arms for Max Spielberg to direct Back to the Future. Sorry, Jaws 19 before it's too bloody late. Figo Mortensen. We have a new shot from Bill, the amazing, uh, hopefully amazing, film from the uh, Horrible Histories and Yonderland team. What else do we have in here? That's a really big section you got there, Chris. Game of Thrones season four. There is a uh, a very extensive Dragonfield piece there, mm-hmm. and and to match it, you did a piece on How to Train Your Dragon too. Double we don't dragon. Just, we don't just throw this stuff together. We also have some some really interesting little uh, Empire celebration pieces. All of our editors ever got together to discuss what they did right and what they did wrong, which is interesting. And we also have uh, the best quotes in twenty five years of Empire uh, history, which will genuinely make you laugh and quite possibly cry. In one instance, they're really, really lovely quotes. It, for some um, reason, it doesn't feature darkening up the chocolate. Which I know, I which is a bit uh, of a bit of an oversight. Mm. Uh, we also have a big, big piece with uh, Seth MacFarlane ahead of a million ways to die in the West, which he doesn't enumerate all a million, but it's quite inter- an interesting piece all the same. Also, speaking of cool runnings earlier, I interviewed every single member of the team who also feel the rhythm, and it was it was an emotional moment for me. Uh, an emotional series of moments of course as I call them all up on the phone for about half an hour extended interviews with all four from Yul Brenner to Sanka 
uh, will be up online after this issue goes off sale. So you'll be able to find out more about Correct. all of that. But there's a great piece of art uh, in the front of the review section at the back. Uh, which I'm just so proud of. It's so clever. It's a good. Um, it's a good piece and a great piece of journalism to track these people down, isn't it? And I'm looking forward to reading the extended, the EP versions of EP. all those interviews online. And uh, this month's panel milk is Matthew Modine, and the movie mastermind is Danny Trejo, who's very very funny indeed. So you can pick that up. Uh, it's quite awesome. It's just uh, three pounds ninety nine in all good and evil news agents near you. It's also available on the iPad, uh, and uh, yeah, you can also subscribe as well, and you get a lovely Tom Cruise limited edition subscribers cover if you do so right so anyway enough shameless plugging and um, a goldfish let's move on to something else hey it's the Jemison Empire Awards this weekend uh, we'll, we'll cover <laughs> that in full next weekend uh, in next week's podcast right so what else is happening in the world of movie news um, I've got a, a little weird interesting story uh, mm-hmm. apparently Kevin Spacey who of course recently has been blowing us all away in House of Cards is set to play another p- politician but he's set to play Winston Churchill they're apparently planning a film uh, on Winston Churchill called Captain of the Gate um, written by Ben Kaplan which is about his rise to power and his opposition to sort of appeasement and that kind of thing in in the 30s and uh and yeah, apparently Kevin Spacey's lined up to play the man himself. Now, it's one of those roles, you know, who do you get to play him? I mean, we saw him briefly in the King's Speech. That was, uh, Timothy Spall played him in the King's Speech and, you know, didn't get rave reviews, actually, because everyone has such a fixed idea in their heads of who Churchill was and what he was like. And also for a non-Brit to play him, I think, you you know, you've got to work that much harder to convince anybody that you actually can do it that said you know Meryl Streep did Margaret Thatcher so you know game on man I also feel like Kevin Spacey's been inducted into the Brit fold he's been part of the old Vic for such a long time now and you'll occasionally see walking his dog in a park I mean he's he's a Brit for me and he's a happy man he is and I actually think he's not a bad shout for Winston Churchill he's a good bit handsomer um, but, That's certainly fair. But a bit of bit of prosthetics, and he could probably do it. And and also, I mean, I just went to, as it happens, to the Cabinet War Rooms last week to look at all the, the Churchill <laughs> stuff there, and there's a huge Churchill Museum there, which has the best table display in the middle of it. You can play with that table for hours. It's genuinely brilliant. Does it have the nodding dog that sells you insurance? <laughs> it doesn't, weirdly. Can I just say that the guy that plays Winston Churchill's doppelganger uh-huh. in The Eagle Has Landed... Right. <laughs> Who's actually an actor as well, coincidentally. Um, doesn't look much like Winston either. Right. And so, that's, you know. a, that's obviously one of the great greatest films ever made. So, <laughs> that's, that's did, just... did Winston Churchill have an attack dog assistant called Stamper? Because maybe they should introduce that for this one and have Winston do this a lot before he leaves a room. Mm. That might be good. Just tap his ring on the table. And yeah. talk directly to camera, maybe, sometimes as well. <laughs> maybe he's just make Kaiser Cards Season 3. What Hitler doesn't know. Anyway, so that's apparently happening. Uh, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's in a very early stage, so I'm a little bit on the I'll believe it when I see it side. Mm. But it's an intriguing prospect. And from the sublime to the ridiculous, Brett Ratner has produced a movie. And the movie is called Hercules, and it stars The Rock. The Rock is also known as Dwayne Johnson, and he's playing the demigod he has this amazing beard and hair combo and has this genuinely obviously if you know the know the mythology you'll you'll have seen this one coming he has a lion on his head he has a lion hat anyway yeah, so the trailer does. is out and it shows some of the 12 labors and you see the rock running up a tree and then clubbing a giant boar with a club so that's good and it's just very in your face and loud and you have to see it 
anyway, so I spoke to The Rock. I was very lucky to speak to him. Obviously, he's primarily Nick's friend, but I managed to sneak in <sighs> under the radar. And I spoke to him about it, and he said some funny stuff and introduced me to the concept of fun pain. Apparently, during the I Am Hercules moment, he passed out four times in a row because he screamed so much about it. Anyway, so that's on Empire Online. So check out the trailer breakdown feature at your leisure, as well as the trailer, of course. Dude, the trailer reminds me a lot of the world's ultimate Tinder profile. It's the one where he's got the lion, he's climbing a tree. He's like, you know, what lady can resist? Well, in fairness, he never poses next to a sports car, which everyone on Tinder does. So that's a good point Tinder, so. but that's just the teaser trailer so that's true there'll probably be a chariot scene in the there main will be film, a, like so a hot sports can... chariot <laughs> I'll tell you what though the, the trailer the teaser trailer does make it look like it's a very bad day to be a giant animal um, because he's just you know slaying them right left and centre if you're a multi-headed snake get out of the way of the rock okay yeah Hercules will cut you down. If you are a giant lion, okay, get out the way. Get out of the way. If you're, even if you're just a walrus passing by. If you're a big no man, chances. don't go anywhere near Why it. is he trying to kill these creatures? Should because he just go the Steve Irwin route and just try and be friends with them and go, you're all right, mate, you're all right. Don't bite me on the face. Maybe he's working for that zoo in, is it in Holland, where they just keep killing their animals? <laughs> well, they just, yeah. They just need to, like, I'm not even sure there's a zoo. I think let's say Denmark. It is Denmark, Copenhagen. Mm. And they don't just keep killing all the animals. <laughs> oh look there's one Blah. oh there's another one Blah. well there's no, somehow it does yeah. that a couple of times in fairness no, in a public children, execution let's take a look at the lovely lion oh no Dwayne Johnson has just killed him I don't know it's I don't know where I'm from but <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine oh, that's sure. a Danish people speak I would love it if the Danish zoo kept having to call up Dwayne yo the rock yeah guess what um, we need you to turn one of our animals into a hat <laughs> see ya <laughs> anyway so that's my news story other news stories are available I've got other news stories. I've got quite a lot of news. About, Bring it. About, oh. Oh, how much do you say? You're about five or six grams of pure news. Um, which it is worth in today's open market? I think it's worth about ducat or two. Um, the first one is that Prometheus is Prometheus 2, Prometheus here with a vengeance, is coming to the screen with Ridley Scott finishing up Exodus. He's, he's kind of let it slip that that will be his next project. And he is hired none other than, the, <clears throat> than a screenwriter called Michael Green who's probably best known for writing The Green Lantern. Best known is a very interesting way of putting mm. that. Best Infamous known. Infamous for writing Green Lantern. In- notorious for writing Green Lantern. But we don't judge people on everything they did in the past because we all do bad things. And he is now taking up from uh, a draft by Jack Paglin, who wrote Wally Fister's debut feature, Transcendence. And uh, according to The Wrap, the, the rumour that this will crank up the horror yeah. and uh, potentially unleash an army of fast benders. To be fair, no, the Green Lantern did show that he was capable of horror. No, I, I'll be <laughs> honest. I was a bit sceptical, and then they kind of had me at Army of Fast Benders. So I can sense a, a lady, a woman work. who's previously on Prometheus. David, <laughs> <laughs> David was uh, just a, a head in a bag. He's head it? in a bag. Yeah. Just yeah. a head in a bag. Yeah, they're going to need more heads and more bags. Is yeah. what we're potentially. We're going to need a bigger bag. Do you think David has all of Fast Benders' attributes? I can't. I've got to put the news down. It's too heavy. But I'm listen, not, I'm not sure why they would. You know, waste that much material on bits that presumably androids don't need. Material. I like the fact that you're really thinking this through in great detail on a granular level. It's great, but let's put it to one side just for a moment. March 4th, 2016. Right. A very busy year, by all accounts, is looking I like. Think, I think this is in, this is interesting. Release date. There was an awful lot of huh, Prometheus 2. That's going to be a lot of rubbish uh, tweets uh, on the old Twitter machine uh, when this news was announced. Uh, but Prometheus had possibly the highest expectations of any movie since The Phantom Menace. 
and it couldn't possibly have lived up to those. I mean, it would have helped if it had been halfway decent. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, this is expectations working for it in the other direction. Everyone's ex expecting this to be bad. It's a masterstroke bringing on the writer of the Green Lantern movie because no one's <laughs> expecting this to be any good now. Uh, so what if, it, if it's even just passable? If it's in focus... We're doing well, so I think this could, I think this could it's be even like the Fast Five of the yeah, sort of yeah. cerebral sci-fi. It is, yeah. Okay, you set, you're setting it up. It's lulling, lulling the viewers into a false sense of of of, of, of non-expectation. <laughs> Mentioning Fast Five, I must say, if they dropped the rock on Prometheus, I would watch the hell out of the sequel. He could wear Michael Fassbender on his head. He could be the, an engineer. Can you imagine the Rock as an engineer? Oh. He is an engineer as it stands. They'd have to scale him down. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I am back on board again. Yeah. He, well, he, he would literally. The Rock is the only person I could imagine who, if he was impregnated with an, an alien and it ripped out of his chest, he would win that battle and still. eat it. Yeah, he'd just grab it, go, "What are you doing?" And he'd lop his head. I off think the Rock is more like to pop out of the belly of an alien. To be honest, I love the idea of the Rock as an engineer running up a space tree and clubbing a massive xenomorph <laughs> around the head. I am really, really into that. So there you have it. Just some of the things that won't be happening in Prometheus Two. But they should be happening. But they Michael Green be. or Kenneth Lantern or whatever your name is. If you're listening to this podcast, we're sorry for the insults, but seriously, right. Write a role for The Rock. Just write, even at the character name, just The Rock. Get him in there. I suspect that's all you need to do. In I think script so. And he'll turn up. Get him in there. Yeah, it's like clicking your red shoes together. Carry on. And just lastly, Paolo Lorraine, the uh, the Chilean director of the Oscar-nominated No. 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 I don't know no. what you're talking about. Oh, no. <clears throat> is uh, is signing up to uh, to bring the new Scarface to the to the big screen. So, no. Yes, no. there we go. He must no. get that an awful lot, you'd think. But no, no. he is doing it. And <laughs> instead of a Cuban, Tony Montana is going to be a Mexican. He's going to have links to the drug cartels. And it's going to be set in L.A. rather than Miami. And this is a project Major that David changes. Yates was yeah, huge. David Yates was linked with the Harry Potter man. He's obviously stepped away from the project. David Ayer had a look at it as well. It seems to be David Ayer terrain. Hmm. But um, this guy, if you've seen No, he's got an interesting... Uh, it's a really interesting movie, though, I think. Really, really good. And um, who knows? Yeah, again, this was, he does, actually. I saw this being written awful, awful lot on, mm. on Twitter. A lot of people going, how can you remake a classic? Um, it well, was a remake. Um, yeah. It's so, of a classic, yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's knows? a good point. I mean, look, this this is a story that kind of, it's not it's not one of those ones where you're like, oh, they're just taking it and remake it. This is such a class, sort of traditional tale of a, of a guy made good. and I mean, this is kind of one from the ages, so I think you can forgive them for doing it again, I suppose, but it needs it probably needs a new, a fresh treatment. This could be interesting as well. Um, you know, I'm just going to throw it open. Uh, Neil McDonough, uh, the American actor with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, is in negotiations to play the villain in Paul Blart 2. So what, what do we, what he, do we he think was, about that? Wasn't he a great villain in Justified? It feels like a little bit of a step down. Having said that, you know... Um, Kevin James is attached, so it's automatically oh, a well, step up. Oh, well, in that case, it's totally yes. a step up. Yeah. Uh, Phil is mouthing something at me. Was, is he in Band of Brothers? Yes, he was. Yeah, he was. I love him in Band of Brothers. He's also in Captain America. And he's also in um, Minority Report. Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. He's good. I like him. He should he be in more good. stuff. He is good. He you know who else should be in more stuff? It's the guy who plays Dum Dum Duggan from the original Captain America. He should be in everything. I love his moustache. Uh, anybody else want to talk about anything else? <laughs> no. no, I think we're good. I'm we're done. Good. I, I'm, I'm going to call into question your, your definition of news. That was two news stories. That wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't five or six grams of pure news. That was like little... That was it. It was a bump of news. Yeah. 
Is this a cocaine? I'm not comfortable with this analogy. It's about Scarface. This is a story about Scarface. It's that's a several jokes are fine. Winners don't do drug jokes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Is that it for the movie news? Yeah. Let's happy? move on. All right. Thanks, that's all Hollywood. That's happened. And now it's time for our second interview with, with Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie, two of the stars of The Winter Soldier. Stan, of course, plays The Winter Soldier, a.k.a. the resurrected Bucky Barnes. That's not a spoiler. Seriously, it's not a spoiler. And uh, Mackie, star of The Hurt Locker, is Sam Wilson, a.k.a. The Winged Falcon. They popped into the pod booth recently to talk to Ali and myself, and they were very raucous, very funny and in the case of Mr. Mackey in particular, very rude. Earmuffs, children. Earmuffs. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined in the pod booth by Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackey, uh, stars of Captain America, The Winter Soldier, the title star, in fact, of The Winter Soldier. Yeah. How long were you guys on set together for? Because you try and kill Anthony rather uncharitably halfway through the film. Uh, but other than that, you don't really share any screen time. Was it a day, two days on set? Uh, no, nah, it was. I did a lot of stuff with his stuntman, who was ridiculous and standing on top of cars and shit like that so mm. we maybe had like two days on set together maybe yeah towards the end i think yeah. the end of the film but but not really a, a lot no. <laughs> but now you've been thrown together for the for the junket so have you learned anything about each other on this trip uh, his favorite fruit is raspberries <laughs> <laughs> is this true <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, it's blueberries. That's what, it, that's what it is. There was, at least it's berries. I guess this means, Anthony, that you haven't come up with a nickname for Sebastian yet, because I yeah. know you call Ryan Reynolds, not Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Your, your petty four. Yeah, he's uh, Seabass. <laughs> he's Seabass. Yeah. Seabass. I used to be called that in college, actually. Yeah, it's not unique. It's just Sebastian is usually called Seabass. Oh, I didn't or, know. Or if you're a brother, you call See That Ass. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered this Petty Four thing from your interviews on Conan. Mm-hmm. And in the same interviews, I discovered that your dad paid your friends to beat you up. Yes. As, as a child. Yeah. Did that help at all in the course of doing stunt work for this film? Uh, no, but it helps in day-to-day life. Uh, <laughs> After this interview. <laughs> no, nah, with this movie, the stunt stuff, I have a great stunt, man. I tried to do one stunt and literally land, landed flat foot face first into a parked car. And uh, that was pretty much the end of all my stunt work. I was like, Tom Cruise can have it, I'm done. And you didn't go head first into a wall or backflip into a bin? No, I did. I, go, I went through a, through a wall on the first movie, I remember that. But, but in this one, fortunately, no, not, none of that was happening. <laughs> Got banged up a lot in the fight sequences with Chris, mostly. But You do this amazing stuff, I don't know whether it's actually you, but with a knife where you're just flying it around and it's just going over your hands and then back into the other hand. You know, Chris and I practiced that for three months. We had a go at it, basically. You know, they, they let us just... Play with knives. the best that we could. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I played with a plastic knife, a, a toy knife for about three months, flipping it in cars <laughs> and, like, walking around Starbucks with it. it really interesting. <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, the the stunt guys choreographed that, and and it was a mix between uh, uh, us and them, and and whatever was suited best for the shots is what ended up in the film. And maybe I'm revealing my ignorance here, but your character has a massive metal arm. How is that represented? Is that that wasn't CGI, was it? And if it wasn't, no, how no. Do you, how do you act with this appendage? Well, I didn't really know until I honestly until I started shooting. I mean, because uh, they were still designing it throughout the whole process before we we started shooting, and then um, the only part that was cgi was around the elbow so that there was enough flexibility for it but you know the guys just basically made this arm from scratch and and i'm glad that they did because i feel like i had something to work with what was the audition process like in particular for you anthony because i'm imagining the key bit for me in this film is when you jump backwards off a helicarrier yeah yeah 
and was was that your first was that the scene you had to do did they say hey <laughs> no, you follow but that was my first day shooting really uh i showed up on set they had a 75 foot uh scaffolding in the air and they're like all right this is what we want you to do a helicopter's coming at you we want you to jump face first turn over and shoot semi-automatic machine guns and <laughs> land on this mat first day <laughs> that was it it was it was rough it was rough it took a few takes mainly because i just like shooting the guns but then we were running out of bullets so <laughs> i had to get it done pew 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 noises uh, the, take. the first take I was, and they told me I couldn't do that because they could see my face. So I'm telling you, man, looking cool and doing this shit is yeah. very difficult, especially like the slow motion stuff. Or it's just it's impossible. There's no way of looking uh, cool. But the audition process was very simple. Um, they called me and told me they wanted me to be in the movie, and I said okay. I love that. I love that, that, was, that, that was pretty yeah. much it. But how do you go about something like your your uh, your big heroic entrance as a Falcon, where you land on the roof mm -hmm. and you turn around and the camera dollies in on you and you yeah. turn around and you give it that cool face? Is that shit? Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah that, that was that was very cool. Hell yeah. Uh, do you feel cool when you're doing something like that, or do you? No, you a feel lot? really stupid. Um, <laughs> there's no <laughs> like you turn around because you don't know what it looks like until you see it. So you just try to turn around and give your best for me, Billy D. Williams impersonation. <laughs> And by the time the camera's dolly and you're like, like, what is my face twitching? Like, what is in my yeah. eyes? So it takes a few times. Like I said, yeah. there's no way of looking cool because they'll dolly and they'll be like, Anthony, stop kissing at the camera. Sorry. <laughs> I always have this feeling like I just look constipated. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I always just feel like, yeah, my, my face is contorted. Exactly. There's no way. Because what you think looks cool actually looks constipated <laughs> so it's the secret to be constipated is that the uh... no stay far away from constipation yeah. that's what it is and sebastian what's your secret for looking cool my secret yeah my, do you have a secret because cool. he has the coolest reveal probably yeah. in all of marvel history <laughs> yeah you know when oh, cap yeah. throws the shield at him yeah and he's like good well, well like, I, I no was, constipation because I, you know, I had because of the mask. I think that helped a lot because, like, you know, <laughs> you couldn't see how, what I was feeling in there. If I was ever in pain, the silent scream that was happening. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I really, I really tried not to like be in my head just to seem like I was, I was silly looking uh, half the time. I, you know, I couldn't see because of the hair at all. Any, any, anyway. Mm. But I, the, they did such a good job with the costume that I, I felt like. I just needed to let that speak for itself. Now, obviously, the giant rocket-powered wingsuit was real. Mm. Obviously, that's 100%. real. 100%. Got it parked outside. <laughs> is that yours to keep? Nah, Marvel lets you keep nothing. Well, the thing about it is the jetpack was cool, but the wings were literally about two and a half to three feet long. Oh, you're kidding. So you look like a quail or like a, <laughs> a pheasant. You don't look cool. That's the alternate take. Exactly. And my biggest thing was just don't make me look stupid. Mm. You know, um, from the first day I signed on to this movie, I was like, you know, if I'm going to be a superhero with wings, just don't make me look stupid. Because the original character, am I, am I wrong here, Chris, is a little bit unusual. A little bit unorthodox, yeah. 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 He has red wings, red mm. suit. He has a, a bird called Red Wing. The fact mm. that he looks like he came out of a 1975 <laughs> yoga class. <laughs> I know. That was, they couldn't have possibly taken that to the no. screen. Well, you could have. No, they, it would have been, been fun. Trying to look cool in that. That's what I wanted, man. <laughs> Constipated face. That's awesome. what I wanted. As a yoga instructor, that would make sense. That's it. Absolutely. Happy baby. Constipation. <laughs> uh, Sebastian, when did you know that you were coming back for this? Oh, two years after the first movie. Yeah, two actually, years. I had a friend call me from, I think it was 2012 Comic-Con. He was like, dude, your the character name is in the title. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Like, I had no idea. That's was, genius. It's so crazy having a friend call you and tell you that. 
Does well. that help negotiations? In a way, <laughs> what negotiations? <laughs> yeah. Right, that's true. That's true. But, you know, the, like... the negotiations are like, yes, when? Perfect. I'll see you there. Yeah. You guys want a drink? Right. <laughs> but hang on, hang on, hang on. Your trailer. Surely, there's. You know, you can move on the trailer. You can get a nice setup, a good Xbox or whatever it is. You can get a really nice trailer. If you find out from your friend calling you from Comic Con, mm. you can use it as leverage. Well. Uh, I don't know. I didn't even think that far at the point. You know, I'm just, always thinking of trying. It was just the excitement of having a job. I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. that's pretty much it. As a journalist, I feel for you. So, I mean, uh, how many films have you guys signed on for with Marvel? Can you are you at liberty to say? Do you know? <laughs> that's you. Know, I you don't sign know. a piece of paper and then they just go. I have no idea. Yeah, I was like, just call me when you need me. That's not bad. I mean, that's pretty much how it works, as I just described. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so, just you just don't. Did you have to? What did you have to cancel to do this movie that you'd already got booked or planned? Did what you have to cancel? Did you, did you have holidays? Did you have holidays planned? Did you have to yeah. friends on demand <laughs> right. in my apartment? I mean, I. Um, had to break up with Jennifer yeah. Aniston. Damn it, babe! I'm so got so comfortable to seeing you three times a day. Daddy yeah. got to go to work. Uh, to be fair, I mean, I have the same rule with Marvel. Whenever they call me up, I'll go. That's it. The yeah. thing is, but seriously, the thing is, you know, as actors, we're not often put in a position where we know our product is going to be great. Mm. I feel like Marvel has a track record of making quality projects. So, you know, so I would say seven times out of ten you do a movie, it's going to come out and be either mediocre or not so good because so many people touch it. Like the editor, the director, the producer, the other producer, the producer's wife who wants to be a producer. So you just never know what you're going to get, you yeah. know. And I feel like this is... They kind of have a system. They kind of have a thing where they turn out good product. And if it's not good, they'll go back and make it good. You know that. You know, it's just one of those things. They call... You know, it's just a shit ton of fun and you're going to have a good movie at the end of it. I guess we wanted to talk about the final showdown, firstly, between yourself and uh, Chris. Because there's a strong Darth Vader-y versus Luke Skywalker overtone to that, to that final showdown. Uh, were you ever tempted to say, I am your father to him at any point? Was that, was that something that crossed your mind? <laughs> no, but I wish Captain Phillips came out sooner. Because I would have just been like, I'm the captain. <laughs> All day long. And I, you know, um, no, I mean, some of that, you know, it's hard. I mean, you're, we're working three, 13 hours, days, and, and, you know, luckily Chris has a great sense of humor. The stunt guys have were really funny to work with. I mean, sometimes we just had to make fun of it and laugh. I mean, we kept tripping all the time. You just, there were things that were being said, but I, I don't even remember half the time because we were just trying to get through it. Yeah, mm. This movie could easily be a comedy if they took some of the B-roll stuff that they got <laughs> and put in the actual movie. It would be priceless. It would be the best movie. I mean, ever. you you and, and, and Grillo, though, must have had <laughs> some really funny moments. I'm we had sure. some good stuff. We It was good. It was We were just talking shit the entire time. When we first met Frank Grillo who uh, plays uh, Romulo. He's like, oh, have you seen, you know, the stuntman rehearsal for our fight? I'm like, no. He's like, yeah, I kick your ass, man. Kick your ass. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to put some other punches in there. Don't throw punches. I'm going to throw real punches. So we're just talking shit, talking shit. We're rehearsing. It's literally first take action. He's going full speed. I'm like, dude, they said half speed, so he punches me. Bow. He's like, I told you, I'm going to kick your ass. We were rough. We went at each other pretty hard. And, yeah. uh, and I think there have been rumors linking the Falcon with... With Avengers Age of Ultron. Do you know anything about that? I heard about that. I heard yeah. that online. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they start shooting here in London in two weeks, and I still haven't gotten a letter or a call. 
So I'm guessing I'm not in it. <laughs> But if they call me, I could be here in eight hours. Is that is that Marvel's way? Is it sending a letter? Because if so, I love that. It, it, I think they send pigeons. <laughs> yeah, they send a pigeon to the Falcon. <laughs> the Falcon gets pigeons. Yeah, of course. Old school. <laughs> wow. When we spoke on the phone, Anthony, about a pint of milk interview, yeah, yeah. you revealed your love of mathematics. Yes. Uh, and you also revealed your love of Madden, the game, yes. and Metal Gear Solid. I was curious, have you played any of the Captain America games, and are you going to be in a Captain America game? Uh, I haven't played any of the Captain America games. I, um, I have this, yeah, I haven't. Uh, I won't even talk about the nerdy aspect of that answer. Um, no, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping I will. Um, that would be pretty dope, the aerial perspective from the Falcon. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, w watching the film, I was like, I, w I want to, can I play no, it's a film. Okay, 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 well, all right, okay, fine. Because you did your voice, your voice is in the first game, is that right? Yeah, 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 we did that, but no, I... You've never, you've never seen yourself? No, I haven't. Because I'm imagining you're talking about a 13-hour day. I've seen his, uh, you saw your action figure? I did see that some of the action pretty figures, dope, yeah. Pretty dope, pretty dope. Yeah, that's, it's pretty surreal. I don't know yeah. when you're looking at it. Is it weird to want to keep one at home, or would it be odd if someone found it and went, is this a figure of you? I, when I first saw the poster, I ordered a uh, fathead. Y'all have fatheads here? Yes. What's Just that? these massive, like, stickers that you put on your wall. Oh, right. I yeah, ordered yeah. a massive fathead of my poster. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. Ego aside, that's my first damn poster. That's going on the wall over my bed. So when I'm cranking out, I can look at that and go, hell yeah. Hell yeah, the falcon in the building. I mean, everybody would do that, right? Yeah, yeah, heck yeah. Of a, yeah. Just, you, yeah. You put you you put the Winter Soldier over your bed. I don't. I mean, I have an action figure that they gave me like uh, a while a while back of the Winter Soldier that you know I'd stare at for months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just be like, it's true. Just believe it. <laughs> Raises an interesting question though. If you're doing that with mm -hmm. a post of yourself, whose name do you call? Uh, it depends on what situation I'm in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Usually, I just. Call my name. Yeah. Or I just scream, Falcon in this bitch. Y'all, that when I start singing sometimes. Like, y'all gonna make me unleash the Falcon. You know what I mean? It depends. It depends on the moment. You've got to use the word Falcon as your name, the third person. Falcon's getting some milk. Yeah. That's what French. I. But when I first got cast, I was doing that everywhere. The fuck you say to the Falcon? I used it all, all the time. It, it just became annoying. Oh, Unbelievable, God, <laughs> Sebastian. I, I'm, I'm almost uh, hesitant to ask, but uh, you know, do you prepare for Bucky or Winter Soldier? Oh my God, no! I, I'd definitely be like Winter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would go with like, yeah, Bucky just ordered a cab. I don't, you know, like, Mr. Soldier just ordered a cab. <laughs> Bucky need a cab. <laughs> I'll be your hype man. That's, That's what it is. That's so funny. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably a good note in which to end. Uh, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank really you. Thanks for having us. Okay, that was Mackie and Stan. Stan and Mackie, Mackie and Stan. Uh, movie reviews time now. The big film opening this week is, of course, the latest installment of Marvel's Phase 2. It is Captain America the Winter Soldier, in which Steve Rogers finds himself forced to go on the run when he uncovers a sinister conspiracy at the heart of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, we will be getting into this in much more detail on our Captain America the Winter Soldier spoiler special podcast, which is out on... It'll be out on Monday week. Monday week. Monday week, so we're, we're holding it until the States see it, just so no one goes and spoils it for our American cousins, because we're nice and conscientious that way. Oh, Which is great, because obviously we get the movie ahead of the States, and we're getting the American Spider-Man 2 two weeks ahead of the States. Oh, that's because they like us better. Pays to have British passports. Wouldn't you agree, Helen O'Hara?
Got an Irish one, it's fine. Sympathizer. Uh, right, anyway, let's uh, get our thoughts on Captain America and Winter Soldier. Helen. Why do you look to me? It's weird. Hey, I really enjoyed this. Hooray. There's a surprise. Ali. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it but probably not as much as everyone else is really enjoying it fantastic Phil I enjoyed it as well but again probably not as much as Helen maybe enjoyed it Helen great let's, okay let's go back to Helen <laughs> okay so this is sort of Marvel's kind of 1970s conspiracy thriller-esque take on the superhero genre um, we open with Steve Rogers working living in Washington DC working for S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of swatting up on everything that's happened in the past 70 years while he was frozen uh, as a capsicle uh, somewhere in the Arctic and uh, he is basically trying to I guess adjust to a post-crisis world you know it's one thing working with S.H.I.E.L.D. when there's a giant spaceship threatening Manhattan it's another when your enemies are less clear and less obvious and less you know less bad basically uh, so anyway he's sent on a mission uh, to rescue uh, a ship that's been taken hostage along with Black Widow and a team of sort of SWAT kind of agents or I guess more like Navy SEAL kind of agents working for S.H.I.E.L.D. They succeed in their mission but it clearly it very very quickly becomes apparent that S.H.I.E.L.D. is keeping secrets from him. Uh, Nick Fury Samuel L. Jackson obviously takes him a little bit into his confidence but that just worries Steve more when he finds out what's really going on with S.H.I.E.L.D. It becomes clear that something is rotten in the state of S.H.I.E.L.D. and things get bigger from there. Mm. Um, I just I, I kind of enjoyed this I like the way they're trying to change up the genre with every film I like the fact that they're not just doing the same thing over and over again I mean I think there is a, a legitimate sort of a, a criticism of these films and it's something that Dan discussed in his review which is a very good one on the site at the moment which is that you know no matter how far off genre you try to go it does tend to come back to a big punch up at the end uh, which is true, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm not sure how far they can go away from that. And I'd like to see them try, but at the same time, it's it's a difficult thing to uh, to kind of get that balance I right. Do, I do wonder if, not just our reaction, but the reaction of Joe Punter, if they went to see one of these films, yeah. and the end was a nice three chat. people in a room. Yeah. You know, World War Z. There are certain expectations. Having said that, yeah, World War Z was a brilliant example of how to do it, but mm. it's a very, very rare example. But there are expectations with this sort of movie. Um, and it ratchet, I think this this delivers nicely. I don't think Marvel. I don't think there's any convention necessarily. No, I don't think they're. I don't um, think they're. You know, uh, forced into that. I think it's it's maybe just becoming a little bit of a habit. Having said that, I mean this is a a fairly minor complaint because the action in this film I think is some of the best that Marvel's ever done. There are some set pieces, one involving Nick Fury, one in a lift uh, in particular, mm-hmm. that are you know for my money probably the best that the studio has produced so far yeah there's a the attack on fury is um a clear and present uh, danger it is yes it is um it's as good as that sequence from that movie and the lift sequence uh we talked to anthony and joe russo for the spoiler special and they they cited brian de palma as a as a real influence particularly on the lift sequence i i don't really see that that much but it's one of the best lift fights you will see um and the action it's really down and dirty quite gritty Mm. Uh, so to speak, one of the things I, I love about the the most recent iteration of of, of Phase Two with uh, Iron Man Three and Thor: The Dark World, and now The Winter Soldier is that, and again this goes back to the idea of genre that they just happen to have they're, they're thrillers or they're, they're they're different genres that just happen to have a superhero at the heart yeah. of it, and uh, it's a seventies conspiracy th- flick that just happens to have. Uh, a super enhanced human being at the at yeah. its heart. Yeah, and I think those are the scenes where it's where it's absolutely at its strongest. Yeah. Um, there is a, a little bit of a a plot development, let's say it's not a twist, but a plot development about two thirds of the way through that you really have to buy 
to mm-hmm. keep on board with what happens next. It's one of those things that is kind of ludicrous. But for me, I was kind of there with it. And I was like, all right, that's a bit crazy, but I'll go with it. Um, but if you don't, I think it can lose you slightly in the, in the last act. Yes. I enjoyed this film thoroughly as a, as a spectacle. I had a bit of difficulty a day or two later recalling anything specific about it. <laughs> I have to be honest. I love the fact that, like you say, that they Marvel are trying to do different things, trying to mix it up and change it up. And the fact that they've drawn on the 70s thrillers of Pacula and Lamette and, you know, to a lesser extent, Frankenheimer and Sidney Pollock and people like that. M- movies that, that I and lots of people love very much. And they've kept it topical because there, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in the water at the moment. The kind of, yeah. you know, the, the civil rights infringements and the kind of war on terror and all of that stuff. And it really drinks from that well, which I think is kind of interesting and cool. And mm. I think I, I think actually Steve Rogers has become, a, in this in this film in particular, has become a really, really interesting character because he is... Um, he is a man out of time, obviously, and there's that whole sort of, you know, uh, you know, alienation from the world around him and trying to find his new place in it and literally looking, you know, keeping a list of things to look up and learn about and, and try and kind of acclimatise. Um, but at the same time, he's not a drama queen. He's not, you know, going on and on about, oh, woe is me, because that's very much not his character. And I, I like that. I like that we don't have an angsty hero. I like that he has a lot to be angsty about um, and, and largely kind of isn't. He's not dark. He's not tortured exactly, but he is, he's just, he has, you know, he has sadness in his life, but he's not sort of gloomy or freaking Batman about it, you know. Mm. Oh, my parents died 30 years ago. Well, he's essentially a a good guy. Yeah. Uh, You know, and I don't know how much depth and shade you necessarily need, because this is a man whose decency forces him to ask major questions of a certain company's policy that has huge repercussions um, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we, which we'll discuss, I guess, in this in the spoiler special. But he he's not afraid to ask those questions, and that's because um, of of that lack of depth. If you say he wouldn't see it as a lack of depth, he would just see it as being a nice guy. But I also think that it's not strictly lack of depth depth either, because I think that there's a there's an there's a conception of what goodness looks like, and there's a conception of what patriotism looks like and I think it's really interesting that what they've done is essentially said that you know the greatest generation as the Americans perpetually call those World War II soldiers uh, that the greatest generation wouldn't necessarily sign off on everything that's happening now and wouldn't actually you know that the brand of conservatism or the brand of you know um, war that that is happening now is not something that they would recognise um, as being American, as being the values that they fought for, and I think that's a that's an incredibly powerful political statement for for a major studio to be making. It's an amazing, amazing thing to be discussing. Agreed. I agree with that as well. And I, you know, like I say, I'm not. I really enjoy that. I'm definitely on board with the four stars. I just would have liked more the quieter moments and mm. less of the smashy, smashy big stuff because I just feel like you're saying that that is getting formulaic. And if you had spent a bit more time doing the kind of Captain. America goes, Steve Rogers goes to the, uh, is it the Smithsonian or the Air and Space yeah. Museum? Mm. And, and, and you get the exposition that way really cleverly. And you get the sense of, you know, what he's lost through losing Hayley Atwell's character. Um, more of that. And any other stuff means more, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Well, I think the, uh, the smashy, smashy big stuff doesn't really come until the last 20, 25 minutes or so. I mean, the, the rest of it's very, very intriguing. And there's, there's, a, there's a lovely little thread running through all the Phase 2 movies thus far. And I don't. Obviously, it's not. Actually, I think it probably will happen to Guardians of the Galaxy to an extent. Is that uh, all of the movies have been about the uh, the heroes being attacked where they live? It's about them going on the run, and it's about them 
asking themselves big questions about who they are and what their place is in the universe. And uh, that's not an accident. I'm yeah. guessing there's the, you know, this is a deliberate thing. That's definitely uh, Guardians that too. We'll, oh, it is Guardians as well. Good. I thought it might be to an extent. I want to say casually, if you are curious about this film, if you enjoy the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, go and watch this film. Go and watch it as soon as possible. Go and watch it with a big group of people. You'll get a big kick out of it watching it with a large group of like-minded people because if you have friends who are into this film and they see it first, they will want to talk to you about it. They want to talk to you about, mm. as we've mentioned, alluded to earlier, repercussions and things that happen. It's an important movie for this world. Go and watch it if you are interested. We're going to get into this big time on our uh, Spoiler Special podcast. We're interviewing Anthony Russo and Joe Russo, the directors of the film, uh, and they're talking about the movie in huge uh, detail. Uh, but we're also going to be picking it apart ourselves. So if you want to listen to that, it is up on Monday week. Monday week. Uh, okay, so let's move on now to Muppets Most Wanted, which brings back the felt and the furious, but leaves Jason Siegel and Amy Adams behind, replacing them with Ricky Chaffee's Tina Fey and Ty Burrell for a European caper that sees Kermit become the victim of an evil imposter. Now Helen wrote the review for this in the mag so it feels a little bit unfair that I'm kicking this one off but I shall anyway. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was fun. I thought it had funny moments. I thought it was a little too long. A few too many characters in it. I think that's traditionally a Muppet problem in the Muppet movies where you go, oh, I enjoy this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, but you've got to introduce new people. There's a frog called Constantine who's this evil doppelganger that you speak of. He has a small mole on the side of his face and his face is a little bit more scrunched up and he is the evil, terrible bad guy in the universe uh, and he is the most important, best bad guy. Guess what accent, accent he has? Evil Russian accent, I am Constantine, yuck, yuck, yuck. And his um, assistant is played by Ricky Gervais, Dominique Badgi or Badgi, or Bad Guy. And together they use the Muppets as a means to do nefarious deeds. The fiends. There's so much going on at times that I wasn't quite sure which thread I was meant to be accessing. And I felt that maybe it needed a tighter edit. There were moments where I was going, this is really funny because I'm really buying into this. But I feel like some people might, who aren't so loving of the Muppets, go... This is going on a bit. Look at my watch. This is okay. The scene's carrying on fine. The bits in the gulag with the Tina Fey, I actually really enjoyed. I think that Tina Fey is fantastic, and she does a similarly silly Russian accent. And there are scenes involving your favourite cameos. I did think watching this film, these cameos aren't going to impress young kids. We've got Danny Trejo, we've got Ray Liotta, <laughs> we've got Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. You know, all your favourites, Lady Gaga, and uh, a certain Sean Combs. I just didn't feel like. There was anybody that if I were 11 or 9, I would go, oh my God, it's One Direction, dude. It was, is that? Who is that? Does my mum fancy that guy? Oh, so it feels like people who were passing by. A, a smidge. This was set in London, uh, recorded and shot in London, and there is a bigger London-based bit towards the end. There's some fun stuff between Kermit and Miss Piggy. Their relationship is very much played with here. It's similar to previous Muppets movies, like Muppets Take Manhattan, where there's a marriage thing going on. But generally enjoyable, a little too long, and a worthy um, compliment to the first movie from, from 2011, but not quite as good. Uh, I would also put in a good word for Ty Burrell's Jean-Pierre Napoleon, um, who is the most ridiculous French policeman since Clouseau by some distance. He is utterly wonderful. And the, the way that they played with European and especially French stereotypes with him was completely genius. A little bit offensive, um, a little bit playing up on, on, you know, in the same way that when an American film criticises the English for having bad teeth, yeah. you roll your eyes a bit. When they criticise the French for having smaller cars, you kind of do the same, but they kept on with it enough that it became 
Blooming hilarious. Tyburell is brilliant. Before you ask the question, Ricky Gervais is not good in the Muppets universe. He overtakes it. He is too big for the Muppets. His voice and his persona supersedes this world, and I didn't connect with anything that involved him. I he's not in it too much, but he is so Ricky Gervais. And Ricky, as much as I find you very very funny, you cannot sing. And when you're asked to sing, as being very blunt here, I'm sorry. It doesn't work. There's a, it's a really funny number. It's about being a bad guy. It's a funny song. I enjoy the lyrics, but this is a movie, just to put it out there, where he's dancing as as part of the song, and guess which dance he does? The Brent dance. He does the Brent dance, and I did feel like there's a clean-cut example. As soon as I saw that, I went, this may have needed a sharper editing scalpel. Okay, yeah, because Chaffee's was... Um interesting because when his casting was announced uh, uh, a lot of people again uh, you know if you're monitoring Twitter there were a lot of people who were very wary of like casting choice he doesn't it doesn't really paid off that much it's serviceable but like I say he's just a bit he doesn't fit in films he's too arch is he because they're, they're, yeah. the, well think about the, um, the the Muppets was the Jason Siegel's character and Amy Adams' characters were so lovely and, and warm and he had just embraced the idea of, of being in the Muppets universe and I get the sense that, that Gervais would be almost two steps removed from it and there would be an, an, ir- a, a, an irony filter going on there that might not work necessarily is that yeah I think we yeah. basically just needed much less of the bad guys and much more of the Muppets that's it just, it's and, and, and yet as you say in your review it's difficult to nitpick a movie which begins with it picking its own nits it talks about how sequels are never as good as the others there's a bit where a character I don't want to spoil the joke for you points out things about the movie that you're watching and you go good point it's a really good point Anyway, we did like it, though. What we did the songs? like it. Because obviously the last one won an Oscar. I really like the songs. For the wrong song, by the way. I don't think this is going to get an Oscar, but I actually really enjoy the songs. Uh, there's a bit where Constantine is singing to Miss Piggy, and I, that, I love that. I okay. loved it. And the opening number of about sequels is, is terrific. Okay. I think we should, we're all agreed that life's a happy song. Should, should it is, life is. Life is a happy song. It is better than... Yeah. My friends got married to that, and that was their first dance. No way! Yeah, isn't that nice? Really? When you say you got married to it? What? Sorry, it was their first dance. They actually walked down the aisle to the credits music from the West Wing. Really? Yeah. Amazing. Greatest wedding ever. I'm planning on getting married to the final song sung by Michael Caine in uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol. Our love is found. Their love is found. Yeah, it's really good, actually. Uh, I walked down the aisle after we got married to Bring Me Sunshine. Oh, that's also good. You you walked and you didn't jump. No, I couldn't have done. My wife wouldn't have been able to put her train and whatnot. She wouldn't have been able to do Way Arsenal! She wouldn't have been able to do any of that. Get a new wife. Get a new wife, yeah. It's her fault. Um, All right, so three stars for Muppets Most Wanted. Uh, It hasn't done that well in the States, so I'm not sure if there'll be a third Muppets movie, but uh, it's up to you. If you go see it in huge quantities this week, uh, who knows what might happen. Shall we do the past? Or has anyone seen the past? I've seen the past. You've seen the past? past. Right. If you want me to do it quickly. Okay. Yeah, very quickly. Next up is the past. Asghar Farhadi's follow-up to a separation starring Bernice Bejeau, of the artist, of course, as a woman who starts a new relationship when her Iranian husband leaves her to return home. Is that right? Kind of. Kind of, yeah. I got it off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Phil. Yeah, hi, Not Chris. to pigeonhole you. Hi, Chris. Why but you, this what? film's got subtitles. Oh, yes. So have it you seen actually, it? It does, actually, yes. It's a French film uh, yeah. by an Iranian director, Asghar Fahadi. I am the art house guy that can't pronounce foreign directors' names. I just did it for you. I know you did, and I still messed it up. I'm like, I've got my own sort of sketch comedy character. Yes, anagram of Asgard (laughs) Fururava. Amazing. 
He directed A Separation, which was highly acclaimed, uh, highly acclaimed Iranian drama um, a couple of a couple of years ago. And this is another, perhaps not quite on that level, but another strong piece of work from him. He's got a, assembled a great cast, including, as you mentioned, Beho of the artist who we love. And um, a prophet, Taha Rahim, who plays the, the new partner of Beho's character, who basically has a young son and a wife in a coma. So the setup is a little similar to The Descendants in that sense, because you have this woman in hospital who's kind of the, the uh, dramatis ex persona. Um, her ex returns from Iran, flies into Paris to formalize the divorce process. He's played by Ali Musafa, and he's collected at the airport by Beho's character. And... They go back to the house and, and what you find unfolding over a period, almost sort of in real time, over a period of just a handful of days, is the different complex dynamics playing out in this family unit. These these kind of two families, really, that have come together. And uh, Masafa's character is stands apart from it slightly, but he tries to bring his angry daughter back into the fold, tries to keep the tries to find his way really of navigating this situation and but it's Beho's film she's really fantastic in it and she shows a new side to herself mm. she's not like the peppy miller chipper chipper mm. singy dancey character of the artist she's very much a uh smoking kind of anxiety and and and, and weary anxiety ridden and weary um mother and and uh, partner to this to this um, Rahim character who can't really articulate himself and he has his ex-wife in a coma and you kind of find out that's the mystery of the film really is what happened and where's it going to go from there Bojo um, won the best actress at, at Cannes and rightly so yeah. she's really good and I think she shows you know you might watch this and without realising it's her and go she looks really familiar but she looks so different in every sense from the artist and she's such a different d- different demeanour and she's obviously not got the same kind of um She's not as she's not as obviously beautiful, but she's obviously still a luminous screen presence, and uh, she's really fantastic in this. I gave it four stars and a recommendation. As I say, it's not quite a separation. If you've seen that and liked it, mm-hmm. I think you should check this one out too. Fantastic. So four stars for the past, and we should also mention, last but not least, this week it's the Oscar-winning documentary that, that beat um, uh, the Act of Killing. It's twenty feet from stardom, which tracks amazing backing singers, including Darlene Love. Yes, very we, quick one on this one, Phil. We gave this one star for every five feet of stardom, <laughs> and Confusing. which is if you're any good at maths at all, and I'm not, I'm checking. That's four stars. Really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Yeah. It's if you like music, and as the title implies, it's a film about the backing singers, the the guy, the ladies, the women, predominantly women, who really contribute so much out of proportion to the, the amount of fame and fortune perhaps that they've that they've achieved but then you see some of them it follows four of them Darlene Love we saw at the Oscars was one um, but there's four four main characters and you, and you see that not all of them are actually hankering for those things some have tried and haven't quite made it and some have been happy just to just to be in the background dedicating themselves to the music but there's some fantastically well put together moments there's one fantastic bit where they go back to the studio Mary Clayton is the backing singer that sang the chorus refrain on Gimme Shelter with the Stones and and uh, Jagger and her independently in the same room reflect on what happened that night she was called up in bed by the stones and said we need someone to come and do this for us and she turned out basically in her hair rollers and dressing gown and just 
belted out this incredible refrain. Uh, if you know the track, mm. you've seen Goodfellas recently, you'll know what we're talking about. And it just plays. They play it, I think, live for them. See, so there's a bit where Jagger's just kind of listening and, and a bit where she's listening. And you can see all the memories come flooding back. It's really incredibly sort of powerful piece of documentary filmmaking that for me and the film is just a lot of fun really and really really interesting and i think deserving of its you know i think it's a strong year in the documentary category but deserving of its oscar cool so uh four stars for 20 feet from stardom and that wraps up this week's reviews section uh let me just set my watch it's eleven fifty-five, almost pod night enough time for one more interview one more interview before 12 just to keep us warm Reese Shearsmith, former member of the League of Gentlemen, has been on the podcast before, but we were delighted to welcome him back, especially as he brought his long-time writing and acting partner and fellow former leaguer Steve Pemberton with him. They are the creators, writers and stars of the brilliant BBC Two comedy series Inside Number 9. If you haven't seen it before, it's out on DVD this week. It's dark, dangerous, twisted and very, very funny. As for Pemberton and Shearsmith, they were a delight and they were talking to me and Nick DeSemlian. Enjoy. If you dare. <laughs> no, enjoy, seriously. We're delighted to be joined in the pod booth by uh, Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, the creators of the brilliant Inside Number 9. Welcome, gents. Hello. Hello. How Thanks is it going? Us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I imagine, like Reese, you were saying before we started that you haven't really been together much to talk about this, so I imagine you're not really talked out about Inside Number 9. No, not really. It's kind of, we um, do our annual, when we ever have anything on television it's always nice to go and Sainsbury's and get the papers and read of what people are saying about it. The report. We the call report it. we call it the report yeah and we've been able to do we haven't done the report together because we've been each doing It's all online filming. now you don't have to I mean it yeah, used to be when, when the League of Gentlemen was on you had to go and stand in WH Smith's and be glared at <laughs> while you went through everything including <laughs> the financial times. You're much more bold about tearing open the plastic and just <laughs> pulling out the I the used to do guys. that. You I did, and it's like, Steve, people can see you doing it, you're never going to buy it, and just pulling out the guide of the Guardian, <laughs> then just pushing it back in. Yeah. I, I would never dare do it, so I ended up buying it all. But yeah, you're right, it's all online. Mm. So if the review was good, for example, in a paper, would you buy the paper? or would? No, I would just be relieved that it was yeah. good. Yeah. It's, it, the, good review, the good reviews are a relief, the bad reviews are the ones you remember. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so why do you, do you why do you torture yourself by looking at stuff just in case it's bad? Just in case, yeah. No, it's it's just interesting to get um, take the temperature. It's more interesting to take the temperature of, of what people, for example, on Twitter think of it because you're getting real viewers. You know, the the, the review side of it. It's just nice to know, you know, what, how it's been generally perceived and how other people will start perceiving it. Mm. If something has got generally good reviews, it'll be. You know, perceived to yeah. some degree as a hit. I think. And also, in actual fact, it's the previews that are more important, isn't it? Cause they they tell you, oh, tonight there's a thing on, yeah. and the reviews are after the event, and it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. So that's when you want to get pick of the days. Sometimes you get pick of the day, and it says it's rubbish within it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, why have you picked it? Pick of the day, avoid at all costs. Yes, it literally. I often get that. But it seemed to me there was an enormous uh, groundswell of support behind uh, Inside Number Nine. Uh, a lot of people were especially bigging up a Quiet Night In. Yes, they were. Have to they, watch yeah. this episode. If you don't watch any other episode of the show, mm. watch this one. Yeah, people were enamoured of the uh, of the exercise, you know, of the, of yeah. the quiet thing, and that was that was good because it was a, a, a challenge to write it and, and get to the end without speaking. Yeah, we began writing and thought we could maybe get like ten minutes out of the conceit of them robbing the house and having to be quiet. But then we just kept going, and uh, it came out really well. So I think people, 
And also, I think it's just a surprise that it's just so silly and uh, no real darkness to it. It was like me and Steve doing Chuckle Brothers for quite for 25 <laughs> minutes. And that, I think, it's the one time we haven't shot ourselves in the foot and, and left a sour taste <laughs> yeah. where it's just out and out trying to be funny yeah. and, and, and consequently loved. <laughs> you haven't uh, been approached by the Chuckle Brothers to take over their legacy. We haven't yet. I mean, we're waiting on it. We always wanted to do, the, there was a children's programme called Brum about a little yellow car. Right. And there were robbers in that every week, and we try to actually put a request, can we be the robbers in Brum? <laughs> and it, it closed, it shut it down, and we yes. didn't, they stopped filming them, so we couldn't get in on it. Mm. Well, specifically so you couldn't get in on it. That's what, <laughs> it sounds like you're accusing them of shutting down the No, no, I don't know if it, that was a direct <laughs> correlation, but um, yeah, no, we, we didn't get to uh, I'm intrigued by your, um, how you guys ride together. Has that changed over the years? Um, the process is perhaps easier than it used to be. Um, but uh, no, I mean, we both like to be in the same room at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, we both like to talk an awful lot before we start <laughs> writing and uh, catch up on the news and the gossip. And um, But but not just that. It, it, it You don't want to start writing until you've got a, a good jumping off point or, or mm. something that's really either tickled you or you feel has got a real you know weight to it. And uh, we always like to know what's the thing that we're, we're trying to get. Yeah. What's I the hook? What's the hook of the story? Yeah. If you start without, it's just it's a little trick to just be to feel on firmer ground when you are beginning literary writing words down. Because mm. if you start writing and you're not quite sure of it, very quickly it feels all at sea and you drift. You drift and you think it's not working. And then that I think is enough to stop in tracks and think we don't know what we're doing. What we're doing. And so <laughs> we kind of really need to know what it is that were mm. you know you, you yeah. think of a story then you split it down into how many re- journeys into a scene do we need to tell it yeah and then also what's the funny thing about it as well within it yeah it's almost the last thing that the last requirement is we always funny. do a joke pass at the end because there's always room yeah. for a couple more jokes so i really love going back and when it's all tight and nicely scripted and, and nicely plotted do a joke pass and just anywhere you can yeah. <laughs> shove in a joke because it's um you know, our, our first thing is telling a good story, and hopefully, inside number nine is, is yeah. six good stories. That was the intention. So, you, did you write them in in a particular sequence, and then show out of sequence, or how, how no? Did we, we we wrote we just them, wrote them, didn't we? Yeah. And then in a random sequence, it was really. A, the, the first one was probably Tom and Jerry that we wrote, yeah, because uh, that was based on a play we'd written m- many years before, hmm. and. Um, and then, in terms of putting them out, we wanted to have the variety. So you you alternated something darker and, and, and more psychological with something lighter and funnier, and and that's you know. Yeah, there was debate. Was that, that was the fun game to play? Right, what's the order that they're going to go out mm. in? You know, there was a t- time when the first one was going to be the quiet one, and we thought it's good and it's great, but it maybe for the first one it seems like too gimmicky. I don't know. We thought it's quite a thing to get your head around that no one's speaking. It's not, but you, you might just be like, what is this weird? Pro- are they all going to be like this? You know, because people are yeah. stupid. <laughs> so um, we just thought a good one to start would be the sardine because it's got lots of faces in it and people are enamoured of it. Oh, also, it set up the idea, the idea of an enclosed space every week and the idea of it being claustrophobic yeah. and creepy. I think sardines ticked a lot of boxes. Yeah. And it's very funny. I mean, we were sitting watching on the monitor, Tim Key and, and, um, and Rebecca uh, and Catherine. Uh, Ca- Oh yeah, playing yeah. Rebecca, yeah. and um, uh, just killing ourselves laughing. Just thinking people might not find this as funny as we do. Yeah. The, the mm. kind of awkwardness of it, but That's two amazing. brilliant performances. It's amazing, and uh, it's a bit like sequencing an album, I guess. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and now was, you've got was, your difficult second album coming up. Are you are you writing? Yeah. Season we're not writing series two, yet or? Cause we're too busy doing other 
filming things. But we're, we'll, we've got a window of opportunity to film it in the summer, to write it in the summer, and hopefully film it at the start at the end of the year. I mean, the frightening thing about a writing process is you don't know how long it's going to take until you start. Yeah. Because we, we will have a quite short amount of time before they hope to start filming. But these are very particular. These are so uh, dependent on having good scripts. And uh, we won't start filming until we're happy that we've got six new yeah. ideas. And um, it, it, in a way, it's a... Uh, an easier thing to to just hit a, an idea and just do thirty pages and move on, but you've got to reinvent it every time. You've yeah, got to come up with six times. different. It is hard styles, six different places, and six different stories that are going to live up to these ones because we're very proud of these these first series. It's exciting now yeah. to think what the nines could be. Doesn't always yeah. have to be a room now. Yeah. Mm. So um, we've got some different ideas which are good mm. but um, yeah it's, uh, it's exciting because it's such a, you know it's in one way it's great but in another way it's terrifying because there's no bounds to it's limitless what you could do as long as it's mm. in a, something that's a nine well next door <laughs> next door to this podcast studio is number nine so right. this, this is effectively 9A it's so be it, yeah. you could do one where you're trapped with two podcast hosts yes. who don't know Just what they're talking about we have some Twitter questions that people have been sending in okay uh, so I just wanted to give them to you so uh, Camden Leisure Pirate Asks. It's very important you give us the, I know. <laughs> the handle. Uh, the Camden Leisure Pirate <laughs> says, "Did they ever slash would they ever think about directing?" Oh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, we have Camden. in the past, mm-hmm. haven't we? Uh, yeah, um, almost every project we go, should we do it? Mm. You know, it does occur to us that the scripts are written without being arrogant. Very prescriptively in a way I think we really write knowing what we imagine it to look like in the end or hope it would be like so we thought it wouldn't, wouldn't be too much of a leap to think we could do it but then we've always ended up thinking it's too awesome Wellesian and, and we've <laughs> got too many things to be thinking about and let dare to think someone else might know better than and, us. And to be fair, I mean, David Kerr, who, who was our fantastic director on this and, and, you know, attacked each one in a completely different way. Yeah. He's done a brilliant job. But I think the answer to the question is yes, we would in the future consider, but probably not to be in it. Is, yeah, is the yeah. answer, okay. or yeah. or for one of us to take more of a lead behind the camera and one of us in front? But yeah. I think if we were both in something, it, it's not having any objectivity is what we're scared of, um, and the technical knowledge. But I think we should definitely give it a go. Thanks, Camden Leisure Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> it's Camden. all for you. Good recall. Um, somebody else asks any particular reason for the hair in each episode. H a r e. Oh yes. Well, people might not know, but we we decided just as a game for ourselves, really, to put one uh, ornament or one object that would be on every set, and um, and we 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 chose this uh, this kind of small silver hair with these big long ears, and we we didn't mention it in any interviews. We just left it there. <laughs> Sometimes you can barely see it, but someone yeah, spotted someone it. Someone spotted it. Rosie Riley spotted it. And uh, there's no particular significance other than we just thought it was a nice. Just another link. Another link, and it was uh, became our little good luck charm. And uh, whether we'll carry on with it in series two, or be good, I think we should, we should maybe do a different thing. Yeah. Well, then, um, then it, all it would become about is what's the thing? What's the twist, and where's the hair? <laughs> Psychedelic Brie asks, "Is it wrong that I find Papa Lazarou sexually attractive?" Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah, wrong. Yeah, nice and simple. Um, Steve, you're not on Twitter. You were on Twitter for one night only. I did. And then yeah, you got did. blocked. I got uh, something went wrong with my account. I think I think it went from zero to uh, to a hundred tweets too quickly, and they right. took me off. But uh, it was suspended. 
No, I um, I found it fascinating, and and I find it fascinating following Reese and, and what goes on because I do dip into it and have a look, mm. but um, I don't want to be on it myself. No. Uh, we have another question from uh, at Old Dark House, who says, uh, "Absolutely love the Psychophil Halloween special. Any chance of an Insight Number Nine Halloween special?" And then someone else asks, a "Sparkly L." Asks, uh, what do you think about doing a feature length inside number nine? So I guess those two are slightly. Mm. I mean, in terms of the Halloween special, I don't know what would make it special, special, unless it was Halloween themed. But um, nine. I mean, we did we did a League of Gentlemen one and uh, a Christmas one, which was an hour, and we did the 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 Psychoville Halloween, which was an hour. So I suppose giving yourself that extra bit of time means that you can go a bit deeper we've used the anthology format within you know within these those specials whereas the whole series of inside number nine is an anthology so mm. i don't think we'd be as likely to do a halloween special but we could you know you could do a longer extended do a longer version. form and and i think you know we always said after we did the league of gentlemen film if ever we were going to do another film we'd do something more contained because that was quite a big sprawling epic story with uh, you know, with monsters and slow motion mm. and different time periods. And it'd be quite nice to... Cure its egg, as it's known. Yeah, cure its egg. <laughs> and uh, it'd be quite nice to, to, to do a, an Inside Number 9 feature length. But, um, you know, if someone comes and gives us the money, we'll do it. But in the meantime, we're very happy making these little half-hour BBC2 mm. scary, funny um, programmes. Yeah. You mentioned The League. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, it's 15 years since the league was on TV for the first time. Wow, is that you were aware of it being an anniversary? Kind of, yeah. I, we've we're more looking at in nine in twenty twenty it being twenty nineteen. It'll be twenty years, yeah. so that's what we're thinking. Of. That's what we're aiming for. Yes, yeah, get get to then. But Have because got- we we started on the League of Gentlemen before you know sort of ninety five twenty five yeah. Uh, yeah. W- yeah when we started. So that's that was our starting point you know mm. and then we did the, the the live shows then the radio series then then it got on tv in 99 so yeah it's amazing it's absolutely amazing and people still love it and still quote it and we did um some sketches recently for a charity gig and, and it was really well attended yeah well it was lovely wasn't it and, mm. so it, you know we're all still great mates and people always ask us if we'll do anything else in the future and now we're confidently going yes we will don't know when or what but we will in the future do you ever bust out the voices to each other, or is that, is that have you have you buried them? Not really do them anymore, do we? It feels like it was really odd doing his Tubbs and Edward, for example. Yeah, we. Like, I, I said to you, what's the voice? And we were going backstage it. with sellotape trying to stick our noses up, and it was it just felt like a lifetime ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, we. You know, of course, the thing you're doing at the moment is always the thing you're, yeah. you're concentrating mm. on, and you're trying to avoid replicating that. It's very hard when you've done thirty odd characters in one series. To keep coming up with new voices and new characters and, and things you haven't done before, but in fact, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm 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 going to ask a question related to that, and then just um, we've got one last, and then we'll let you guys go. When you were last here, Reese, you were just about I think the four of you were just about to meet up and do the commentary for Theatre of Blood. Oh yes, we did together, it. Yeah. Uh, and that's coming out in next month, I believe. Is right? That, yes. How yeah. was that? Was it a raucous experience or? It was good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was great to watch it. What it, it's one of those films that you. Um, just want to watch so I think um, there might have been lulls in it where we ended up all just quietly ended up watching it just talking along with the dialogue <laughs> yeah just saying it so um, but it was good fun you know we're all massive fans of it and we did a little bit on Doctor Fives as well because that's coming out with our films are doing oh you did Doctor Fives as well yeah yeah oh, fantastic. we didn't do a commentary, no, no, commentary. we just okay. did an interview oh right okay, okay. impromptu so um yeah, two of our favourite films, you know, and yeah. um, it was it's great to be somehow linked, even though we have nothing to actually link <laughs> as to them. Mm. 
So uh, yeah, that's coming out soon. I, think. I can't wait to get a copy. It'd be nice. It'd be not actual lovely print of it. I think. Mm. So, um, I, surely I, they're going to send you one. Oh yes. Yeah. Sure. Okay. 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 Copy, yes. All right. Good. Oops. Oops. We don't have to remind people to send you a, a copy of that. And <laughs> and the uh, and the last thing is you're talking about the the new characters you created for Inside Number Nine. Who's your favourite? Which ones were your particular favourites to play? My goodness. Hard, isn't it? I mm. think I, my favourite is Tom and Jerry, just because it, it was it's um. It's something that's very um, prevalent to me and Steve. It felt like a time that we really had on the dole in a flat in Highgate <laughs> yeah. and uh, playing board games. And it, somehow it's captured a, a moment that we kind of really shared. And I think there's something about that episode that feels uh, almost autobiographical to me. And that's a nice and thing. And I've been working on destroying him since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not working. <laughs> yeah, so I think that one is my favourite. And it's, it, was, it was a good... Um, surprise as well mm. and just that story is a very intriguing story the, I love the scene at the door the initial scene when he wants to give me my wallet back yeah. and all that it's a funny idea so um, that was my favourite and, and even though it was kind of quite a straight character to play it was it was nice to play the decline yeah absolutely so and, that would uh, be my favourite I really enjoyed the understudy it was it was it took us a long time to write but the, the, the scene where we kept making each other laugh the most is when oh, yes. uh, I come back in the wheelchair that was a funny scene we, we, we got obsessed with this having this baseball cap on <laughs> that, that his carer had obviously plonked on his head yeah. and just getting the angle right and um so we I just don't, were, don't want to wear that hat. You've got to. It looks good on you. <laughs> yeah. Keep the sun off your face. <laughs> don't Are we just wear it? killing ourselves laughing? Paralyzed. It's just the awfulness of the situation. Um, <laughs> that it's like Banquo's ghost coming back into the room, and um, yeah. and 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 that you know he goes and sits behind me, knowing I can't even turn around to look yeah. at him. And um, so that was good fun, and, and and it's always nice to be able to be hammy, and and uh, that's what you're meant to be. So yeah. I quite like that. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you here and hope to see you guys uh, soon. Steve Thank, you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank Thanks. You. Okay, that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more formulated fun when we'll be joined by Anne Hathaway here to talk about Rio 2 and all being well, barring any floods, Darren Aronofsky, Darrenovsky, the visionary director of the Evan Almighty prequel Noah. I'm Until not then. sure that's. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Okay. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Doodaloo. It's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. <laughs> it's goodbye from Phil. Chim Chimini. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to punch a penguin assassin in the face. Hashtag sudden death. Hashtag spoiler special. See you next week. Bye.